Yo. What's up, Key Cool? What up? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, ladies and gents, welcome to Andy Podcast. And um, before we get started, man, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's been supporting season one all the way through season nine. And, uh, you know, when I created this podcast, I never thought I'd have the, the real privilege to interview those um, who really inspired me and really paved the way for me. And as a hip hop head and as a hip hop fan and as a hip hop artist, I always got to honor those who came before me. And this next artist right here is part of a, one of the most uh, legendary hip hop groups that ever came out of Cali. And he's recently celebrating the 25 year anniversary of his debut album, Cosmonauts with DJ Rathmatic. And um, this group got five albums under their belt. And, you know, throughout these past 17 years, since I've been doing shows nonstop, I got a chance to open up for some of the members, but never, like, um, I got a chance to open up for some of the individual members, but this past August 4 in Winston's at Ocean Beach was the first time I got a chance to open up for them as a group. And as a true student in the game, I was super humbled, and I got a chance to share with Key Cool what, what struck me about the visionaries and why they are who they are. And um, the albums are Gallery, Sophomore Jinx, Pangea, We Are The we are the Ones, and the latest in 2020 is the album V. And ladies and gents, without no further ado, we got Mr. Key Cool of the Visionaries. What's up, bro? What's up, Marlon D? I'm glad you're doing this, man. Thank you for, um, thank you for uh, sharing your time and your busy schedule. I appreciate you, bro. Of course, of course, man. So, Kiko, I wanted to um, ask, how does it feel to uh, celebrate the 25 years of uh, Cosmonauts? How does that feel for you? Um, actually, it's been uh, it's it's been 25 years of Galleries, which is uh, oh, wow. Visionaries, Visionaries debut record came out um, in 1997. Well, basically, it got delayed and, and dropped in 1998. So it's officially 25 years for the, the Visionaries Galleries album. Wow. Uh, Cosmonauts, Cosmonauts came out in 95 so we're approaching soon approaching the 30th year mark of that record so I apologize yeah, yeah. 30th oh, year no. yes yeah 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 so no no problem I, I get mixed up with dates as well I can't <laughs> believe it I can't believe it's been that long to be honest man it just doesn't it feels completely surreal to even to, to even attach a number to it like that because it wow. you know it feels like yesterday so um, but it's 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 definitely one of those things to where um, not just the fact that the record is that old, but the, the fact that our you know the friendships within the group oh, is, yes. is has been you know like they say most partnerships don't last over three years right now our yes. group has been um, an official group for twenty you know twenty eight years now so um, mm. that that alone to me is like that's the celebration right there is just the fact that we could still get together and enjoy being around each other and, and, and you know our kids play together and, and it's just the, the movement is his the mash has been um completely different from when we started but it's all the same in, in a sense of just like the, the enjoyment of it which is like hard to say for a lot of things that you do in life right like a lot of yes things it's just you just wear you just you know you, you just kind of get tired of doing it and, and you're done with it so so the fact that yeah yeah we're still we're still friends and family with that that to me is like the, the real celebration is that you know? amen amen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um the unity is definitely intact it, it, it 
it shows on stage the unity the chemistry everything's still intact um I've been following you on Facebook for a while and when I first saw the um, when I saw your repost it says 25 year anniversary I was like man like I, I I'm not sure if he remembers me from the show but um I was hoping I can approach him to, to do the podcast and have him talk about cosmonauts um what are the fond memories that come to your mind when you think of that album with Rathmatic? what if that, what was going on at that, t- that time of your life <clears throat> yes yeah, so with cosmonauts um it was an interesting time because I had, you know, I had gotten into the music industry in about 1989. Um, and, and so, you know, when I first got into the music industry, I mean, we could talk about more about this later. I mean, it, it, I, I had no clue or no idea as a, as an 18, 19 year old, like what was going on and what was going to happen. You know, I got in through Ice-T's Ryan Syndicate Management. Wow. And so, so, you know, oh. Immediately at that time, I was like, well, he's like the biggest name, one of the biggest names in, in, in hip hop right now out of the West Coast. And, you know, being able to enter that and, and see, you know, get into studios. And, and, you know, my first demo I recorded was at Princess Paisley Park in, in St. Paul or in, in the outskirts of Minneapolis. Wow. So I, I had that kind of like a, the lens I was seeing things through was, oh yeah, I'm gonna make it big, and you know, I'm in the music, I'm rolling with Ice T, like, it's a no-brainer, you know what I mean? And just not knowing, just naivety. But I fell in love with the the production aspect of it. But as as you know, that that venture, you know, didn't happen. That I met Elemental there. We we're both in, in in that group together. Um, but when that happened, it made me realize, oh, okay, well then I could just continue to do this. I fell in love with, with producing and making and recording music. I started, you know, honing in on things and like, you know, trying to, trying to become a better MC. I started performing, you know, cause the performance aspect, you know, was, was a whole brand new thing. Like being, being, going up and performing, like not just rapping for people, but just performing songs that you made. And so between 89 and 95, you know, along the way, we, you know, Zen and I linked up and we, we started building together. But, but the thing was, was, you know, the, the structure of rec- making a record was to try and get signed to, a, you know, a major label, right? And major labels yeah. were saying stuff to me like, Asian people don't listen to hip hop, don't like hip hop. They're saying ridiculous things like that. I'm like, every single Asian person I know is a graph writer, a b-boy, a DJ. You know what I mean? I'm like, what are you talking about? We have like, venues of a, a thousand people listening to hip hop, you know, strictly mostly hip hop. I mean, mixed with, you know, just dance music and stuff, but hip hop predominantly, I'm like, what are you talking about? So in 95, when we finally released that record, you know, through the help of uh, Violet Brown, who was the, the lead buyer for Warehouse Records, she helped a lot of careers. She helped, you know, she helped Cypress Hill go gold. She helped, you know, Black Eyed Peas got their their deal with Interscope, I think, through her. Um, she helped people like Janet Jackson. She helped Snoop. She helped so many people. MC Hammer, she helped him get a deal, you know, when he got signed to Capitol. Like, she had just happened to live in the same hood as me in, in North Torrance. And when she found out I was from Torrance and her, her best friend was uh, the, the English teacher, high school teacher of, of my business partner, Doug Cotto, like, she was like, do like do like too short in the Bay Area cats do. Just release the record on your own. Fund your own record. Like who cares about these major labels? They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. So so in '95 when we finally got our money together and we released our own record, 
the 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 memories of that was just the amount of different people in the industry from like Sway and King Tech to like Mike Nardone, um, you know, who was all playing on 92.3 The Beat. He featured, he played our record on major radio, like mix show radio. Sway, yeah. and, Tech, Sway and Tech brought us in open arms because uh, we knew a guy that knew them was like, oh, I know Sway and Tech. I'm like, dude, those guys are, you know, amazing. And they brought us in and, you know, they had me, they had me freestyle with like special ed. You know what I mean? Like that, 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 that blew my mind. And, and, and uh, everyone thought we were battling because we're going back and forth. <laughs> and, and they put, they put on a wake up show freestyle volume three. I started rapping in Japanese and stuff. And, and um, yeah, it was a trip. And everyone's like, you battle special ed. I was like, it wasn't a battle. We're, it's just our rhyme sounded like we're, we're dissing each other, but it was just like a back and forth. But, Big. And, yeah, so like stuff like that, like back in '95, like we opened for Biggie. He came to uh, what? He came to LA, yeah, and Biggie what? came, um, and, and it was at Peppers. No but, way! Uh, yeah, Peppers in uh, City of Industry, and the, the the thing that happened was uh, the, the morning radio show did this whole spoof, and they said it was a notorious PIG, and it was all about you know it's Big Papa, but they they, they called it something, you know. So he heard it that morning, and we knew, you know, we knew everyone in the industry, right? His street team guy was like, "Yeah, Biggie's not gonna perform. It's gonna be a riot." But it was us, Shy, and Biggie, and so Shy went on. They did the ooh da 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 da, da whatever. <laughs> then we went on, and we actually did really well because the crowd was so hyped to hear hip hop. So key time out. When you say uh-huh. us, you and Rathmatic, you and Rathmatic. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Keith Cool and Rathmatic, but all the visionaries, Elemental, everyone was there. We're all rocking uh, Keith Cool and Rathmatic. Can you hear it? Shirts on stage. We came out. We came out hyped. You know, we, <laughs> we did. They had us do like three songs, but we just hyped the crowd, and they were all ready for Biggie. And we're like, let's get out of here before they riot, because Biggie's not going to go on. He he was out there with us. He, we're just all sit, sitting there, and he was signing autographs. We're just sitting there in the restaurant in in the back room, and they had. They had like a little table there. We're just chilling with him. Um, you know, like like it's funny because my kids are like, "Hey, have you ever met Tupac? Have you ever met Biggie?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, like back in the day, we would just be rolling that's so with sick." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that whole '95 era, like between all the all the the heads, like you know, I remember when I was at the Gavin convention in '95, or I think it was '95 in New Orleans, and you know, Jay Z and his whole crew just pop up. They're like. You know, with handing out promos to us, like, "Hey, man," and we're, like, oh, we're like, "Oh, that's that's what's his name?" Uh, you know, we, we knew him from from his Hawaiian Sophie era. He, him, and his whole crew hand us stuff, and we're just like, you know, it's like Busta's about to come out with his solo record. He's out there just chilling. I'm just chilling with with, with, with like Method Man and, and Raekwon, and they're like, "You from Cali, man? You you got that bomb on you?" I'm like, "No, nah, I'm in I'm in New Orleans. I didn't drive here." You know what I mean? Like, I don't got. <laughs> You don't got that chronic. I'm like, nah, man. Like, I flew here. I'm not gonna fly here with that. Like, you know what I mean? But like, we're just chilling. With, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. And 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 um, when me and Rhett went to uh, the Gavin convention in, in in New Orleans, yeah. Like the only the only indie cats there was like us, Razcats, uh, Blackalicious, you know, Gifted Gavin and XL. We, so we were all chill together. AC alone was like an indie artist. He was on Capitol. We would all be, would just be chilling. And everyone else was like, all these artists on major labels. But it was like this little collective of cats that were like, you know, um, hanging at those those uh, those conventions going, man, it's like, we're some of the few cats there that were from the, the underground. But that, that was like right when, uh, you know, 
we, we were all like um, trying to get our stuff out and we were truly independent because we even ran our own label you know and of course like Black Alicious and Soul Sides and Jeff Chang and those cats were super like we're all collaborative Jeff Chang wrote an article on us in Herb Magazine got, got us some some publicity that way and right, it was right. a trip man like to, to, to see the Source Magazine review our record and you know, like I read the source like a Bible back yeah. before it got got to be a trash magazine, and they reviewed us <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah. and you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and being a, being in rap pages, like having having your record reviewed, and they gave us a three and a half in the source. It was cool though. Like I was like, they said that we had an underground classic, and, and you know, I was yeah, like, Man, that was dope. You know what I mean? And and so that whole era, like 1995, Raz was. Uh, recording soul on ice and Rhett was doing scratches for him and 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 so and he was from carson i was from torrance so we, we were like neighborly cities so we're all kind of from the same south bay and um and so yeah so when we did the equals mc song with raz and, and the western hemisphere crew that was right before they broke up that was the only record they ever released officially yeah. that that that's on record and then the crew broke up and then um yeah raz would always be hanging out our because he's from carson from the patch and our office was on 223rd and uh wilmington avenue and so he would just come over all the time so he'd see our crew hanging and be like damn i wish i had a crew i'm like you can be part of the visionaries he's like no you already got the black guys and it's a black guy you, can't have it. you know what i mean but it was funny we used to joke and be like hey you should be part of our crew that would be crazy, right? Yeah. yeah that would have been crazy right there, dude. Go ahead, go ahead. Our, yeah, but our office was in Carson's. Everybody. <laughs> we had we had a whole wall to everybody. Cubert and all the pickles would come. And, and you know, we would all session out in, in our little, we called it the bomb shelter. And, you know, Safir, you know, because he's on our record. But he would always, he would come and stay at my parents' house when he would come down from Oakland. It was funny, hanging with my mom. And, and yeah, it, it was a good time, man. It was real, like the the Who writers, like King Son, that's that's Safir's uh, brother. They they had a record that that did real well and delicious. But they would just come and chill and um, you know exhibit. His record came out that year too, and and so he 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 would come he come with Raz sometimes or sometimes on his own to the office and hang. And of course, like all our family, like, you know, the dilated cats and. You know, just all everyone, Charlie Tuna, the Jurassic dudes, like everyone would just be rolling. And that, what was fun about that was, you know, that whole scene, all the cats, like, you know, we all kind of knew each other to begin with through different ties, you know, growing up and everything. Like I said, even the the, the black IPs when they're half and kind of like two minutes went to high school with, with Will, Will I Am, Will One X at the time. And so we all had connections, we all knew each other, and it was real exciting. and you know, we would play shows like at, at Unity and all that. And so 95 was like the year it, it all started kind of jumping off for like, Dope. you know, uh, you know, of course you, you had Freestyle Fellowship, they're the OGs, they, they came out in like 91 and stuff like that. But, um, but the whole scene, you know, since the early nineties, like we were playing, you know, we, we were going out to all the, all the LA gigs, like, you know, Water the Bush, United Nations and all that. And we would all be up in the spot, but as the scene of, all of us artists when we started finally putting our own records out independently like I, I like to say we're one of the first LA artists to put a record out on our own like that in, in 95 and, and you know if you watch a Kenny Hear It music video you see all kinds of like cats in there that you don't realize that are in, in one of the shots that we shot at UCLA I mean USC yeah 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 you know, if you look at it there's like guys like Born Allah um, he's from Movement X but he was a 
he's from the project uh, he's from project flow good life um there's like you know arrogant was another cat that had a record i think i think he was on capital i'm not sure but then of course you have rocker and, and scratch pickles were all there and um Safir and a bunch of cats man dr oop i don't know if you know drew capon um yeah a bunch of a bunch of cats uh like a lot of the uh, a lot of the project blood cats like it's just it was a good time man everyone was just tripping out that we were you know putting out a whole record and just doing something kind of unconventional saying like you know the industry doesn't want to put us out we'll put our own stuff out which was cool man so anyway i know that was long-winded but no i thought good 95 was a very good year got to got the tour japan for the first time went there with cubert and shortcut they're like wow. kings out you know they're kings out there because at, at the time you know djs were just i mean still to this day in japan but at that time for hip-hop you know djs were like the top of the the food chain so i, I got to i got to be the mc for that whole event and you know I, i got the honor of being one of the last dudes to like be a rapper that rolled with them and they would they would i would have short shortcut cuber and rhett drumming while i'm rapping you know what i mean like i got to, i got to rap with fucking cuber and Rhett. i'm sorry about the curse but with no no you curse short, it's all good. It's all with, good. with them with them drumming and stuff and I'm, i'm i'm rapping like with those guys like you know what i mean like drumming like yeah I, yeah i, I learned i learned how to flare scratch because we had turntables set up in the room and i would just sit there And I was like, man, I was probably, they're like, well, you're one of the few people that know how to flare right now. Like, and I'm an MC, but I was a yeah. DJ as well. I was like, I know how to flare before like the majority of the world learned how to flare. Like I was flare scratching back in 95. And, and, and Rhett's like, you're MC though, man. Don't try to, don't try to like, you know, move over into the, the DJ realm. I go, I'm a, I'm a B-boy. I, I used to pop and break and do graffiti and do you know, DJ and MC and B, I did everything. So I'm like you, Marlon, I could tell you're, you're a head that, that, that loves the culture, not just a rap, I'm not just a rapper. I, oh, man. I, 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 I could, I could DJ, I could do everything. So, um, you know. Means I, a lot I, I love, coming I, from you, I, Kiko. Yeah, I love you. all the elements. You know, yeah, when I, when I, when you started rapping and, and, and you, you were uh, making references to all the classics that inspired you, you know, like referring to Big Daddy Kane and all that, I'm like, yeah. That's same, same for us, man. Me and me and Tumex, we 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 were in Seattle, and and our whole crew, even Danny, we all went to watch um, Prince Paul was playing with us in in uh, in uh, Eugene, Oregon. But the night before, they were playing in Seattle. Yeah, and he was playing with Big Daddy Kane, and it was a place that they didn't really know what was up. And me and Tumex were in the front with <laughs> open beers in our hand. And when he started doing uh, the Wrath of Cain, yeah, we were jumping up and down. And it was like it was like an alcoholic show where we were spilling <laughs> our beer on everybody. Everyone's like, "What the hell?" But we're like, "The Wrath of Cain taking over your circumference." We're screaming the lyrics, oh, jumping up and down. God. They're like, "What yeah. is wrong with these guys?" Like we're going nuts because it's like we're hip-hop fans too right and hell just, yeah being able to stand and just watch kane rocket like that in a in a small venue was just amazing so anyway like i said 95 and and all that was just it was just amazing to be able to like you know be able to rock and be able to hang and, and you know just we would play shows we we we, we opened for busta and you know wow. we, we got to You know, we got to do a lot of things that year, um, and 
and yeah and that's when you know the visionaries crew was solidified because it'll be booked as cosmonauts but all of us would come out and rock and and, and you know um that was kind of the jump off for the whole crew too because that was our, our, our first song you know uh, visionary stopped acting scary was our first song together as a crew that got pressed up and put out so right 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 yeah 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 i love it so yo mm-hmm. man cool i i asked all my guests um so i understand you were born and raised in torrance yep okay cool um do you know do you know the story of how mom and dad um uh, ended up in torrance or do you know mm-hmm. the story of uh, like the reason why they migrated to torrance yeah so so I'm, I'm Japanese American, so mm-hmm. um, my parents, both both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side, all of them during World War II, they went to camp. Um, mm. So that they're, um, my grandfather on my dad's side, on, on the song we concentrated on uh, Cosmonauts, I talk about, you know, his experience. He, yeah. he uh, you know, he, he was a self-made multimillionaire, but then yeah. we living in Orange County, like by Moscow Park, he had a big hog ranch. Um, and that all got taken away. He went to camp. He, he was known, he, he got taken early. So, um, he was taken to, to Tule Lake first. Um, yeah. And, and, and then they ended up in post in Arizona after, and that's where my mom's family was. But after the war, uh, he settled in Gardena. Wow. Um, he, he, luckily he, he, he had some money, a property that he bought in Japan. So he was able yeah. to go, go, uh, uh, get, sell some of that property and get some money and, and he bought uh, a nursery in uh, on the Olympic and Sawtelle in LA which is now called ironically called Japan Town but it was on the corner of Olympic and Sawtelle and, and now there's some exotic car dealership and some huge building there but he had a, a, a nursery there but he would uh, they lived in uh, Gardena and they would drive all the way out to West LA every day and man the nursery and drive back to Gardena my mom's father was a Buddhist minister so he he got assigned so they she grew up in central california she was born in vancouver mm. he was he was a minister there in vancouver then they were like in uh, fort lupton colorado then they were in in, in visalia in central cali and a- after the war um the, he got assigned to gardena so he came down to gardena buddhist church so at that time my mom was going to college at mills college in oakland right um um and and she would come down, you know, during the summer and hang out in Gardena. And my dad was also, you know, college age. So they met then. And I guess, you know, my dad, my dad was a, a very popular dude. He's, he was like, you know, he, he was a, a running back, you know, for the, the football team in Gardena. He was a good looking dude. He, he liked, he liked fixing up car. He had a nice like Chevy, uh, 56 Chevy, you know, he, he was just like, he was all about style. He was, but he was a good dude, like real mellow. But everyone looked up to him. He was like a, a really good judo. He, he was like he was a he was kind of tough, but he was a nice guy. You know what I mean? Like he was a good dude. So my mom, my mom and dad met, and he asked her out. And he said their first date they went to um, the Lighthouse, which was a famous jazz club in, in Hermosa Beach. Oh wow! Yeah, and, and I was like, so you know. Who'd you see? Was it like, you know, was it West Montgomery? Because they, they saw a bunch of people live, you know, like yeah, yeah. But all, all the all the jazz greats. And my dad's like, honestly, I don't remember. I was just so stoked to be out there with you, you know, on the date with because uh, he, he was just in love with my mom. Nice, nice. And love at first sight. He goes, I don't even. And I said, Mom, do you remember? She goes, 
nope. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so the funny thing about that is, is you know, like all my, when I first started producing, all my first jazz records I sampled was my parents' records, right? Because they had a bunch. Miles Davis records, Miles Jazz Quartet, all that kind of stuff. And I would play them a beat, and my dad would name the sample. Like, oh, that's from this. You know what I mean? Like, so he he knew which was what. You know what I mean? So my parents knew it was up. They they they're fully supportive, but they're they're the the people that got me into music. You know, I, they they got our whole family into music. Like they took us to to concerts when we were kids. Our first concert, you know, uh, when I was like in third or fourth grade, I went to see. Uh, the Brothers Johnson and Rufus and Chaka Khan at um, the Greek Theater. And I remember going there and, you know, the, the place was smoke filled and we we're like the only, one of the few Asian families that, that just one of the few sets of kids that were there. And mm-hmm. I remember smoke filled and I was like, dad, I was like, dad, what is that, that smell? You know, and he's like, oh, they're, they're uh, that's just, that's, that's marijuana. And I'm like, what's that? He goes, ah, it's just a cigarette that makes you feel drunk. Like, how old are you? That's, 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 yeah, that's what, that's what he, uh, that's what he explained it to us. It's that's a cigarette funny. that makes you feel drunk. Right. So I know, I know for sure I got contact high. I was like watching Lewis Thompson <laughs> on the bass. And there was then, I was watching him. I was like, dude, I want to perform. I want to be a performer. I mean, I want to make music. Like then, right then, when I saw him doing that, I was like, I want to do that. I want to yeah. be on stage. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to, do something, you know what I mean? Like, because I always love music, and I never got formal music lessons besides, you know, playing the trumpet and band at school. But I always sat down at the piano and always, I always learned how to play songs on my own just by ear. And right. it was weird. My parents made my my brother and sister take lessons, but I always did. You know, I always, I was just picked up on stuff and just started doing it. So I, I think it might have been a good thing. It, you know. I, right. I, I ended up I ended up loving it instead of feeling like I was forced to take lessons, you know. So I never I never had the musical training like that. But all my friends that were like music theorists and all that, they're like, yeah, but that doesn't matter because you just want to make music. You just yeah. do it. That's a, there's a difference. There's a, there's a difference between being able to play written music or write music yourself. So I was like, okay. Right. Well, so anyway, so that's how my parents. That, that was that was what was up with my parents. I'm. They're second generation Japanese American. My mom's family was from Hiroshima, so a lot of them, you know, she lost a lot of her family members when the bomb dropped. My dad's family was from Kagoshima, which is south south of Japan. Um, my my grandmother's side on my dad's uh, my dad's mother, they're a samurai samurai family. So big dudes. His great uncle, uh, my my grandmother's brother. Um, I didn't realize this till later. I picked up a black belt magazine that he was in. And it said he was the grandfather of judo, so he studied. Uh, he was like the disciple of the guy that created judo, and that guy sent him to uh, the U.S. in the early 1900s to to show people how to how to do judo in America. So he's a founder of like so many different judo associations across the nation: Chicago, Long Beach, you know, all, all throughout. Um, so I, I had no idea that he, he was a guy that was credited for bringing judo to America, which is a trip to me right? to know that. Because my grandmother would always say, oh, yeah, he's an important judo. They would call him the judo uncle. But it's like no one ever explained to me, like, he brought judo to the U.S. You know I mean? Yeah, that's pretty fucking crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. And so luckily I found that that Black Belt magazine um, on, on Google Books and, and then I found a couple copies and ordered it on eBay because I was like, I had no idea. Like, 
they made a CT ceremony when we were kids. I said, Dad, why don't you, why don't you make us take judo? He goes, Well, I taught you at home. I go, Yeah, but you would think that we would have been competitive. I'm a big ass dude. I'm six one, just like my uncle was. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and for old Japan, he was like Shaquille O'Neal, right? Because yeah, he was yeah. Like small. But here he is, like six one, and his one of the other, uh, you know. You watch the Last Samurai or whatever, and Saigo Takamori, who who was based on, they're like, oh yeah, one of the uncles was his homie. He was part of that crew. I'm like, really? Like that's crazy. Like that movie's based on, you know, the Last Samurai wasn't obviously wasn't Tom Cruise. It wasn't a white guy. It was like, uh, but it was based on the story of a band of dudes that rebelled and, and took a stand to, to you know, historic you know, Saigo Takamori and all that. But like, I had an uncle that was like part of that crew and stuff. So. Um, it's a trip, man. It's a trip to to know that you know um, there's this lineage. So I, I you know, I, I, that, that's part of like you know growing up. Um, we being we were uh, very uh, how would you say our grandparents and parents made us really like really be uh, in tune with our culture. Make like I said, we went to Japanese school. I learned how to speak Japanese. I was speaking always with my grandparents. I could speak pretty fluently. Um, and they made sure that we knew what our heritage was, you know. Um, and at the same time, they're very forward-thinking. Like, yeah, you want to do hip hop? That's dope. Um, you know, um, you, as long as you don't join a gang and go to jail, is what they said. Anything yeah. you do, like you know, where we grew up, we, we saw a lot of stuff go down. So it's like, you know, they, but they, they they taught us the right values and, and made sure that we, you know, they, that we stayed the right path. You know what I mean? So, no doubt. So yo man, um, did any did mom or dad try? Did anybody have any musical talents? Anyone there was anybody in the music business? Whether it was mom or dad side? Uh, no, 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 um, no. Um, You're pretty much the first one that really got in it. In the, you know? But both both grandfathers, like I said, they're they're artists. Like my my both of my my dad's dad and my mom's dad, they both were pretty well known. Uh, you know, the Japanese calligraphy they call it shuji. They, they're really they're really known for their shuji they, they, they really uh you know and that's considered art but they they both love to sing they could sing my dad was a really good singer he wanted he wanted to be a singer he he had a really good voice and when he went he actually went to a studio and and but because he had no formal musical training yeah like well you, you have to you have to start after you know the eighth bar or whatever he, and, and he didn't know and so they're like, well, you can't do this if you don't know when to start. I'm like, yes, you can. You can tell him, look, right here, we'll count you in. You could, you know what I mean? Like, if he has a good voice. But but he was discouraged from going into the industry, which is cool. Um, but at the same time, he really wanted, you know, he really wanted to be a singer. Um, and I think that's why whenever we would do stuff, like, he would come in. And, you know, when I went back to college um, to finish up at UCLA, I came and lived back home with them, set up the studio. And my, I had a big room in the back, and my, my parents, my dad would always come in and see what the guys were doing and be very interested. Now, let me hear the song. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, okay, is someone else gonna go here? You know, he'd always be asking, you know, because he was always fascinated with it. So, wow. Full, fully supportive of it. Like, my mom came to our show at the Minion Factory. No and, way. Yeah. and she's she's in the back and by the middle of the show she was up in the mix like right in the middle I'm in my ass my brother he's like she just kept saying no, i can't stand in the back i want to be up in the front oh she's beautiful for that she's, huh? she's 80 she's 87 and everyone's taking no pictures way. And she, she's like 
why are they taking pictures with me? I go, because you're my mom. She's like, yeah, yeah but I mean, that's kind of weird. They want to take pictures with me. I go, no, it's not weird. What are you talking about? They think that's it's that's dope beautiful. That they think it's dope. You're up in the midst. Yeah, like, trying to trying to watch a show. You know what I mean? Like, and she's yeah. super proud of her son, of course. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ladies and gents, I, I got a chance to build with Kiku for the past week. Just kind of like just telling my observations because <coughs> I had to catch up and rebrush on the whole catalog from the first album to the fifth and one thing that I noticed and one of the ongoing themes of the Visionaries music besides it being boom bap b-boy battle rap spiritual um, there's a big big theme of family all throughout the album and as I would say and we are the ones we've been waiting for and V those last two albums I feel like the all five members are shedding more of their personal thoughts on our parents aging and that really connected with me Kikul you know what I'm saying like like see certain things like that makes you connect to a hip-hop group because I know that you guys are super family oriented you know and that's you know when I watched the if you can't say love video the family's there I love it man like it's you guys are doing the right thing girl mad props yeah and, and- I think we re- we realize that I mean we've always been that group where like yeah I mean put us in a battle or something we don't battle anymore or whatever I, I guess if we had to we would but I mean, <laughs> yes we, we, yes you know I, mean? I mean it's just one of those things where it's like we don't it you start realizing like as a you know like when you make music you write about what's important to you yes right? and so amen amen and, and so we came to realize like why why did we all connect and why were we always um you know in, in an era where where when we came out um before that it was a lot of egos a lot i mean a lot of the cats we're friends with now probably hated our guts like oh, who are these guys you know what i mean like why did they why did they think they're dope and they were like and they started realizing oh these you know like i have a lot of cats that are like man you guys were ahead with all that love stuff we're like no we weren't it was our parents loved us and taught us that you, the people you love and care about you shouldn't be it's nothing about being tough or nothing man like in fact it's harder to express your your being loving and caring to someone sometimes when 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 the, the image is being you know trying to be a tough guy all the time is is what sells but like we don't care about that we're, we keep it real like if you love your parents like why wouldn't you show them your appreciation for them and it's it, we've been consistent with that because that's what we were raised with like unconditional love and so like everyone's like oh you have all these songs that have the word love and i'm like well shoot that's how your life is right if you don't have that love then you're miserable you know what i mean and man, so man. and so that's why we're like man if you don't like our, our records because you're afraid to to show show vulnerability and show that the things you care about and the people you care about i don't think we should be like I'm fine with that until because at one point you're gonna know that you're gonna discover that you have to live your life with love and and appreciate the moments that you have with the people you care about because if you don't and your life passes you're gonna it's gonna be a sad time you know what I mean like that what is your life without showing and expressing you know the people you care about that you love and appreciate them like what would your life be like and you should, you know and it sucks because some people never have been shown that you know what I mean mm. and with, with that being said yeah. you know not everyone in our group has the same experiences and, and, and so but we work through it and that's how we we work through having our own kids and dealing with our own kids you know if you didn't have your father around like Elemento he didn't have his biological around his whole life and so he he came and hung with, with my parents and my family he told me 
that was a that was the first time I saw like how fathers supposed to act with their kids. You know what I mean? Like he's like, I've never seen that. And so, you know, that's why we're so close is because, you know, he was in high school at that time and, you know, we we were there for each other through these these hard journeys that we had in our life. And so it brought us closer together. And we have we've had theological discussions where we're borderline fist fighting over talking about theology and you know what I mean? And and, and but that's why like the whole concept of Pangea was after we were on the road in in Europe and we started talking about it. We were making you know, we were like almost in a fist fight in the van talking about religion and, you know, different things and, and people uh, growing growing within, you know, our own group, growing in their understanding of spiritual spirituality and all that. But having those tough conversations made us closer. We're like, but you know what's weird is like didn't we're like didn't didn't we all come from the same con- you know wasn't the earth one continent what was it called we're like yeah it was called pangea yeah we're like that's it that's the next that's the, you know that's that's the next record and oh, yeah. it also it, it, it was after being in europe and finding all these people that are just like us but they couldn't mm-hmm. speak a lick of english but you're like that's like the homie from san diego that's like the homie from long beach that's like the homie from torrance you know what i mean like and it was a trip how like we're meeting people and we're like why do I feel like I've known you all my life, but I barely even know you. We barely could communicate to each other, but it's like they're your homie. You know what I mean? And so we're like, damn! After traveling the world a few times, touring, we're like, that's a trip. That's the same in Japan. That's the same everywhere. It's like you just find your doppelganger out there, and and, and, and we started realizing, dude, this music is a blessing to be able to connect with people all over the world that are just like you and like-minded. And even if they don't understand fully at first, they look up the lyrics, they look it up and they figure out what it means and it bonds you with people. And and, and so we're like, well, we just gotta talk about the things we care about and never never deviate from that. You don't ever hear us like trying to be anything but us. You know what I mean? That, that was the whole point is our group and how we roll, like even as people, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of groups that oh, I ain't gonna go out there and talk to and all that I gotta keep this mystique I'm like why that's the most rewarding part part about being you know it's not being a celebrity it's connecting with people on a cultural you know that, that that love the culture that love the music it's about connecting with people that's what like being a b-boy was like even though you battle like you, you meet people from other cities and be like dude you guys are dope respect you know what I mean like that's what being you know a rapper and, 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 and whatever like performing like you, you get to connect with people that are dope in the scene and you have mutual respect for other people that you battle that you meet you know you go into B-Boy Summit and Dago or whatever and meeting all these people from all over the world that are coming strictly for the, the dance aspect of it and so like that's what hip hop culture is it connects all these people of different walks of life and you're bonded through the same culture and appreciation of hip hop you know and, and that's why like we're that crew like we don't care about the accolades we just want to connect with people and of course we want to show and prove you know what I mean like we want to we want to be dope we want to be recognized as being being fresh but at the same time not fake like yeah although like biting was never allowed you know but if you're influenced by something you put you pay homage to it right You, you you prop it up as being man we're inspired by this we're inspired by that you know it's not biting it's like no, we're paying homage to the greats and you know, then the people that, that came before us are dope. Like, you know, like 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 I said, when you're doing that song on uh-huh. stage on Winston's, I'm like, that's dope. He's a true b-boy. I see it already, just the way you move, just what you're saying. I'm like, this dude's a vet. I, I already uh, see that. Thanks, you know I mean? 
it means a lot to me for you. That's why I shook your hand. I came up to you. I was like, dope, bro. Like, I I was feeling you because I could see you're of the mindset of what we're about and what oh, we do. Man. You know what I mean? That that's that's just how we roll, you know what I mean? Like you see that and and so and I had no no idea you're from the 805 too, which is funny. Yeah. Cuz um my my cousins, the boy and I I used to be boy with growing up. He was the same yeah. age as me. They they were they're from Oxnard. So no we way. Spent, we spent like summers in Oxnard and No so way. My my gra- my grandparents, my mom's no parents. Way. No they, they, yeah, they retired in Oxnard uh over by the golf course off of off of Gonzales in um yeah, off of Gonzalez there. Over wow. There. Yo, yo, Kiko, I love how yeah. you know the street. I love yeah, how yeah. you know the street. Yeah. You're yeah, a real yeah. one, bro. Yeah, You're yeah, a real my, one. <laughs> my, 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 cousin, my cousins went to uh, elementary no. school in, in Colonia, like just past the <laughs> yeah. train track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yo, I, Kiko, you're a real yeah. one, bro. Yeah. You're yeah. a real one. Yeah. I, I bought wow. My, one of my first records I bought was. A old licorice pizza right over by the Esplanade. <laughs> you know? So I remember I used to. Yeah, I'm keeping you tripping me out. You're tripping me yeah, out. So. Yeah. I, 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 told, wow. I, told, I, I told Otis, I told Madeline and them when we first met because we're at Santa Barbara. I was like, yeah. cool. I, I was like, my cousin, my cousins went to, to elementary school in Colonia. I'm like, oh, yo, man, what? Like, we're, we're bugging. I go, I used to go to the Esplanade because I live by Del Amo Mall, <laughs> which was like, Three miles long. I go. I go to Esplanade. I tripped. I go. Man, your mom can stand on one side and see the other side. I go. Esplanade. You see May Company on one side. Look over to the other side. See the other side. And then we were cracking up, going. I was like, I tripped out on how small the Esplanade was, but we would be there every all the time, going there to buy stuff. Yeah, yo, man. I, yo, yeah. Kiko. What what years? What years were you going back to the Ox? What years? Or even just the 805 County, just just the Ventura County. Like, when did you start going there? Oh my my. My so basically my my um, my grandfather when he retired so his last stint was in Oakland and I could barely remember that I was like four and then by the time I was in kindergarten they had moved to Oxnard so we are I mean we were there almost every other weekend um, wow. to be honest so I spent a heck of a lot of time up there uh, my cousins wow. ended up they ended up moving out of their house in Joliet and then wow. they moved they uh. You're tripping me out, bro. Wow. Yeah. Then my grandparents lived off of Joliet for like a good until until they passed in ninety ninety three ninety five. Wow. Wow. So so they passed. My grandfather ended up passing away in ninety five when we released our record. But um, so I spent that whole twenty years always up and up. Every 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 New Year's Eve we spent in Oxnard. Wow. New Year's Eve. Yeah, because uh. New Year's Eve and New Year's wow. Day because Japanese celebrate um, New Year's. You know that's a big that's a big holiday. So literally, probably for the past, like we've only missed maybe during COVID, and then the year after, like there's only been two or three years where we missed New Year's Day. And so I spend every New Year's Day in the 805. Like seriously, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yo, Kiko, I wanted to ask. Um, you know, like I listen to your style. You know, what I'm saying. Um. I want to dissect it a little bit. Like, what was your first introduction to hip hop? Was it a song you heard, a music video, or was it something you saw in person? What was uh, your first introduction? My first introduction to hip hop was, um, I would say, when my brother was in eighth grade. So I was in third grade, mm-hmm. and and he he was my da- my brother was a uh, 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 he was a uh, good. 
in a talent show and he was the, the, the unknown comic. Like, so the unknown comic was like a guy that had a, a paper bag over his face. Yeah. And he was on, he was on a TV show called The Gong Show. Yeah, he yeah, out, yeah. He would tell jokes, like real dry jokes. <laughs> and he, so my brother did that. You know, my brother was like, he, he's real, he's real chill, but like, he's like a performer too. Like he, so he wanted to be, he, he did this comedy routine and then these guys, uh, the Smith brothers, I think uh, Ronnie and I forgot what the brother, but their brothers, they did a locking routine and they freaking killed it. They put on some like barcade song or something, some funk song. They came out and they're doing a robot, they're, they're locking. And I was like, what? like, I was like, what the hell is this? Like it blew my mind, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and I remember like that was my first exposure was the dance aspect locking like these nice. dudes killed it and then um and then that same year when I was a third grader there's like a, a Buddhist church dance and I was up in the booth so I didn't realize it but I was DJing I was so the youth groups were you know from seventh grade to like whatever but I was only in third grade so I was like I'll play the records so like everyone would give me requests and I would write them down and I would get the records out and there was no turntables. I would just queue it up super fast and queue up the next record. So I was really quick at, at getting the next record on. But I was, a, you know, there was, there was not a, it was just a regular record player in the booth. And so I would queue up the next song and just, and then I, I remember these guys from Carson, um, uh, my friend Brian Sagawa's older brother, I forgot his name, but uh, they're older cats. They're like, hey, play, uh, play Holy Ghost by the Barcades or whatever. And we're gonna go and, and we're gonna go dance. And I'm like, oh shoot! I bet you they're gonna do that locking stuff. Yeah. So I threw it on. They went out there, and and I remember, you know, again, they they went. They weren't as good as the Smith Brothers, but they're still dope. They they were still popping, you know, pop locking and just real basic robot, and, and you know, they all they all did this routine. And I was like, that was dope. So before I even heard probably like Rappers Delight and all that, my first exposure to hip hop was locking and, and not even like popping. And ironically, when I went into sixth grade two years later, you know, after hearing like certain songs and, and stuff, uh, uh, I went to school with uh, Roy Johnson and Kevin Mitchell, who were the cousins of the Smith brothers. And so, yeah. so like, I remember they walked up to me one time and Roy like acted like he blew into a sleeve and then he did a, a wave like, like, it, like, like the wind was blowing. I was like, whoa, how'd you do that? And then Kevin Mitchell, who was one year older than me, was in my PE class, and he was the dopest. He 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 was a really good popper, but real humble. And I was like, "You gotta teach me how to. You gotta teach me how to do that." So he started teaching me how to pop. Dope, so dope. so um, so early on in the game, I was a popper, and then uh, and then and then uh, we started breaking too. He's like, "Yeah, in New York, my cousins in New York do this thing called New York break." He he's like, "They call it New York." He said they call it New York something, and I, I didn't even know. But he's like, they get on the ground, and do shit like this and whatever. And and so then I saw Style Wars. I was like, oh, that's what it is, you know, self legs and rock steady crew and all them. And and, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what it is. So we, we really got, you know, in in middle school, we really got into that aspect. But that's when I started scratching and, and, and I started DJing. I was one of the first DJs in my area. Um, Cause I, I I used my brother's turntable and I used a volume button um, on it, a, a volume knob on it, and I, I started learning how to flash and scratch. And then my brother's friend um, Scott Elias, his dad bought him a, a Gemini mixer and turntables. He didn't even know how to plug it in, so he goes, "Hey, 
just take this and show me how to do it because you know how to do that scratching stuff. So he let me borrow his turntables and mixer and I started making mixtapes. And I picked up on it super fast. And so uh, by the time I was eighth, ninth grade, I was DJing college gigs and get paid for it. Wow. Um, and and the, the older cats would just have me come out and scratch and be like, here, here's 300 bucks. Here's 500 bucks, you know? So yeah, anyway, so first exposure to hip hop was locking though, um, like in 30, 1978. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, which is a trip. So Kiku, from there, yep. so you started out as a B-boy, then became a DJ. Yep. And then from that time gap to writing your first rhyme, how old were you when you wrote your first rhyme or the, the attempts to write your first verse? My, my first real rhyme was, so so me and my friend Glenn Tagami, so we lived on the backside of the rodeo swap meet and that, that they had a record store there, right? And Steve Yano was, was credited. They, they got a good article about it. It was in the LA Times, but David D's website has it reposted, but there was an LA Times article on uh, Steve Yano introducing Easy E to Dr. Dre. Dre used to sell mixtapes at the Rodium Swamp Me. So we we lived on a, in the neighborhood where where the peewees would hop the back wall. Steve Yano was a Japanese American cat, so he wow. would be yeah, yeah. super super patient with us and play us every record. And he, yeah. you know, and he ended up um, starting Scandalous Records. The irony is he let us use his studio and to mix galleries for free because he was like, wow. I remember we you guys when you were kids, man. It's dope that you guys are still doing stuff. And so wow. galleries was mixed at his studio. Um, wow, and, that's um, dope. East, East LA, but he was like an uncle to us. So when we were kids, he would just play us all these records. So because all those records had instrumentals, you know, me and Glenn would, you know, scrounge up five bucks to buy one 12 inch that we thought, you know, like a Bismarck key record, whatever, whatever record it would be. Back then, it was like a lot of the old school ED and you know, all kinds of old school stuff. And we would buy it and, you know, or even like sucker MCs, like like the first time I ever tried to rap a rap was you know r- rapping sucker MCs over the instrumental on the on the 12 inch, right? Seeing if I could do the whole rap, you know, like I was the MC, and then it was like, oh, let me write my own rap, and and and, and my friend Glenn or whatever would do a mixtape, and I would I would rap into a headphone because we didn't even have a microphone back then, and and and, and I, I would write these rudimentary raps like you know. It's it, it just really simplistic stuff, and so how old were you? Mess- I was like uh, I was like 13, 14. Wow, you know, um, oh, oh, so oh. I was like an eighth. I was like an eighth grader or whatever. And then we oh. would always write. Uh, we would write um, it was like it was more like battle raps, but like joke raps, right? Like at lunch, like you would write something to diss someone, but it, it'd be like bagging on each other, but it'd be in rhyme form. So it was like battle raps, but it was just no beat or whatever. So we, you would th- try and think of the funniest things or whatever to, to say about someone. But um, but at the end of the day, like my first real rap um, that I have, and I still have on tape, was was when um, they passed the bill to pay reparations money, like 20 grand, they would pay it to uh, uh, Japanese Americans that were in camp, right? And Ronald Reagan signed the bill in 88. So my first real rap, because I was listening to public and enemy and groups like that, like I was really inspired, like, dude, I want to write about what my parents and stuff went. So it was like this, it was like a, a rap that, that I incorporated part of that into the song Reconcentrated, because I was like, I got to put a piece of that song, like, you know, putting the money in his face is a dis- disgrace. He never should have taken it away in the first place. It's like taking a baby's lollipop away and giving it back when he's old and gray. That was part of 
of, of the rap that I wrote, you know, in 1988 when they yeah. Well, and so and it, it made the rounds like I I I made it and I made this mixtape. I was just messing around, but everyone heard heard me rap. They're like, "Damn, man, that's dope!" Like, and especially the Japanese American community because I was rapping about you know something relevant to them. So it yes. made the rounds, and a lot of people were like, "Dude, the first time I ever heard you rap." was this one tape where, you, where you're like, yo, I'm not white, I'm not Caucasian, I'm motherfucking Asian. They put my relatives in the cancer relocation, now they say that this, this is a nation, the nation of the free. When they hear that old cliche, it don't mean shit to me. Like, I was uh, rapping, like, all, all militant, right? Uh, rap, rap, rapping over Big Beat, you know, um, Billy Squire. Yes, yes. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> you know, and so, yes, yeah, it was yes. funny. Yeah, so that was my first, I would say that was my first actual real rap you know what I mean um because I then, go ahead yeah. go ahead. no go ahead and then Kiku from there when did you graduate to freestyling off the top when did like freestyling come about with you like from writing and then when, how long did from there did you go to freestyling um I, I think it was just like I think it was it was a constant like because of the whole you know the bagging thing like trying to make up stuff like on the spot I think yeah. freestyling I, I would say you know you know what really influenced me was some in my first group it was called so my first group of the the rhyme syndicate was called the united nations and there was two guys from la um i don't know if you remember the group the mexicans they were sound, signed to mad sounds motown um yes yeah yeah so so sinful and i so he was so our group was called the united nations i was the asian guy sinful from the mexicans um he, he went to long beach poly he that's how I met Elemental because it was me and Simple from LA in the group and then there was a guy named Bistro and then Kelsey from Minneapolis so the group was two guys from LA two guys from Minneapolis Bistro was the white guy in the group he ended up quitting because he just he he, he just had anxiety about rapping in front of people so he just didn't want to do it no more so that's why Simple um Simple's partner Iman who was in the Mexicans too was like oh I know an ill white kid from Long Beach Poly his name is Juvenile back in the Elemento and and this is pre-Juvenile the rapper but he was and, yeah. and he, ended, he ended up changing his name to Elemento later because his name is James Kelly JK L-M-N-O is leave my name out and his mom his grandma was like you ain't a Juvenile anymore you gotta change your name so he, he came up with Elemento when he turned 18 well anyway so that first group um what Kelsey, he's part of the IRM crew out of Minneapolis. Now, IRM crew was the first rap group out of, out of Minnesota. So pre, you know, Atmosphere and all those guys, right? Pre the, the Midwest cats. So they were the first guys credited like in 1980 something that, that pressed up their own vinyl. If you look up Minnesota, Minneapolis hip hop history, the IRM crew, Kelsey, dope ass rapper, bro. Like this dude was like, he, he was the one that was like, yo, Yo, Key, you gotta, uh, you know, you got as a as a DJ slash, you know, you got that background. You should start producing. You yeah. Know I mean? like, and so, because when I got in that crew, I was I was supposed to be a DJ, but I was like rapping too. Like I rap on some of the songs, but I want, you know, I like MCing because I, I didn't want to, you know, be just a DJ. So he's like, Yo, you gotta start producing though. That's where that's where the money's at, and, and we need we don't we don't need to hire other people to make beats for us because. Roger Troutman Jr.'s son made our first demo. 
he's from Minneapolis, obviously. No way. Rest in, rest in peace to him. He 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 committed suicide like you know years later, but he, he was a good dude, man. So he produced our first. That's how we got to record at Princess Paisley Park because he's Roger Troutman's son, right? Wow. So that was ill. I was like, dude, you know, I'm sure he's heard it from everyone. I'm like, do you know how much I listen to you, your dad, and your uncle's music? You know what I mean, like. And tragic family story, right? Yes, yes, so, yes. Just, you know, anyway, we, we don't have to get into that. For sure. And then, sure. um, so we were always hiring these other producers, but Kelsey was the one that was like, yo, you got to start looking for samples and then, you know, and then get, get yourself a sampler. So he started telling me how to make beats. Like, you got to do this. Like, you see DJ Premier, I'll go, yeah, man, that dude's dope. He goes, well, man, he's, yeah, he's, he's dope, but he's dope because of the beats he makes. And so, I had no idea how to make beats back in the day. I kind of did, but he showed, he was like, look, watch how they're building the music. So he kind of mentored me and like, look how he's playing the keys. Look how he's getting the drums. Look how this guy has a drum machine. You gotta get one of those. You know, and he really, but my point is when he would freestyle, this dude was like, you couldn't tell the difference between his written and freestyle. He was just so dope. He had this dope voice and he was like, he's an OG, like he, to his point, he's a man, man, I could rap just as good as all these dudes that are out there blowing up. You know what I mean? And he was right, because he was dope. And so when I would see him freestyle, I was like, I, that just made me go, man, how do I, you know, I would, it's, I was always a pet to always be beatboxing, always be doing something. So I would just be constantly just walking around looking at stuff freestyling like, all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can tell like Danu and all the guys in my group, they're like, you know, you and Two Max are always off the head crazy. And I'm like, not always, but we're always doing it. So we're ready to do it at any time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you hit those moments where it's just like, you don't even know. It's like, you know, uh, just a higher force is just traveling through you. Yep, and yep. you're like, I said, what? And you don't even know where that came from. And yep. it's like, it's, it's like that zone, right? Like you play, you know, I play sports. I've had times where I was like, you know, anything I did was just going in in basketball or playing volleyball. Nothing, every, everything I did, it was like an out-of-body experience. You have those, right? When you freestyle. Something. Yep. And when you have those moments, it's like, wow. And then when you have those struggling moments, you're like, uh, uh, and you're falling back on your crutch words. You know what I mean? Like, I call them crutch words where you, you go back to certain things that you could say because you have stuff stored in your brain that you know you could go back to when you're like trying to tread water. You know what I mean? Like, and all the greatest freestyles, I see them do both, right? I'm like, oh, they're going to the crutch one. Oh, okay, they're zoning out now. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that, that that's, I think, because of Kelsey and seeing how fresh and fluid he was. And he would interweave writings in between to make it seamless. I was like, damn, I want to get like that where I could, you know, at least stay afloat. And then um, sometimes I'm, I feel like I, sometimes I listen back and it's cringy. Sometimes it's like, oh man, that was incredible. And I think we all we all know that as, as freestylers, right? Like you, you don't have to be perfect all the time. Right? As long as you could, you could get into your, you know, it's just mental exercises. Anytime I'm driving, I freestyle, throw on any any beats or whatever, and just start going. So I, I, I do that to kill time and to keep my mind sharp. So I'm constantly just messing with Yeah. This Yo, is, this cool. is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> besides the other five members of the, uh, the Visionaries, right? Mm -hmm. In chronological order, from first to last, who did you meet first and who did you meet last? Like in chronological order, how did that go? Chronological order, I met Elemental first. Wow. Cause we, he was only a junior in high school when he joined our group mm. um, in a rhyme syndicate. So I met him first. 
Mm. Um, and then we, we, when we were in our group, we joked around because we both lived off the four or five um, freeway. So we say, hey, we should make a crew called the four or five South because we both live off the four or five South, four or five. And, and it was, and then that group eight or five South came out. We're like, no, but we always, we always joked around about making a crew. Um, next, I think next person I probably met was either Rhett or Zen. Because mm. um, Zen, I, probably Zen, because I was a, I was a DJ for this cat, Doug Kanagawa, rest in peace. He just passed away recently. On the yeah. He, um, he, Doug Kanagawa was, became like one of the top promoters in LA. Like, yeah. like he, he threw our, our head trip video release party and he had Janet Jackson there. You know what I mean? Like what? Janet Jackson was at our video release party. No way, dude. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. And, and wow. I think at, the, at that party, um, Safir did, I think he did Battle Drill, um, Exhibit did Paparazzi and Raz did Anything Goes. So we had like, yeah, and, and, and that was at, uh, Dude, that that was, yeah, that that was amazing. When she walked in, we were like, "What the hell?" And Danu gave her a, a, a cassette single, and she's like, "Thank you." And he's like, "I almost died when she." <laughs> I got to walk up and give Janet Jackson our cassette single for nice. the nice. Yeah, but anyway, um, so Zen was a, a, a prom, uh, he was part of the promotion team for Doug. So um, when I was emceeing at the club, Doug. Doug, because I used to be the DJ, but when I got into the Ram Syndicate, I told him I can't DJ anymore. He's like, well, you MC and DJ Hidel will be the DJ, but you just get the crowd hyped. And, and at some point at night, he would always let me get a verse off of freestyle or whatever. And other guys would try to jump on, but the only guy that was dope and that Doug was like, only you guys could rap was you, his, you and Dantes, which is Zen. And, and so we would get on. And so when I... When after the the Ram Syndicate group broke up, I was partners with Intellect, but then we got signed to Wild West Records, who put out like the Knox and those guys. And I got out of the deal because the the the, uh, the president of the label was, was shady, and he wanted to market us as a Mexican group. And I'm like, I'm not even Mexican. That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's so I got out of it. I said, dude, why don't you re, why don't you relink with Simple, and you guys could be a Mexican group. Yeah. And then they became the Mexican. So I was still friends with them, but you know, I was like, I want out of the deal. So they let, they finally let me out of the deal because I worked for a law office and I had the attorney there like pushing because he didn't want to let me out. And so they let me out, and then um, and then I I needed someone to you know back me up when I would do solo gigs, and then uh, so Zen's like, I'll back you up. I'm like, I'm like, dude, Zen was. I was like, you're an iller MC than I am, bro. Like. How you knew? But nah, man. He's like you're trying to do your thing, and, and so so we started hanging out. We opened for Dell in '93 when he dropped that that No Need for Alarm record, and um, we we opened for him at me. It was just me and Zen and Dell um, playing at UCLA when I was I was in school there, and yeah. So Zen just rolled with me, and then uh, he met Danu and brought Danu into the mix. Uh, when Danu moved up from San Diego, he was he was working with these producers and and they had a falling out so i met danu through and then we all just instantly clicked and we were hanging out a bunch at that time somewhere around there um i was in hollywood and that's when i first met Rhett because Rhett was part of brotherhood creed i didn't know him but i walked into there was a club on hollywood boulevard called club spice 
the front room, um, this guy named Rob Harris, rest in peace to him too, but he was the first guy I ever heard that would would do mashups. He would put, play hard like rock records and then play like Aerosmith and he would play like a dope hip hop record. He was the first guy I ever heard do mashups. His clubs are so, his part of artist groove in there where his clubs are so dope that like you would see Chuck D there and Steven Tyler there. We saw like Millie Vanilli there, like just random people would just come because he would, he would play such dope shit. He was so dope. And then in the back room, Rhett Maddock and his group UK would do like a hardcore hip hop and reggae in the back. So I walked in the back one time and I heard what I thought was a record because it was like someone playing like funky drummer and big beat and all the breaks while Grandmaster Kaz and Prince Whip a Whip, Fantastic Five MCs and Cold Crush, right? They were on the mic freaking rapping like it was like the park in freaking the South Bronx, you know what I mean? Yeah. But over live breaks, so I was like, oh my God. So I ran to the front and I was just watching Rhett flip all these original break beats and watching Grandmaster Kaz and Whip a Whip do routines together. And I was losing my mind because I felt like I've never gotten to see that live before. And here in 19, you know, 92, I hear it live and direct. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm like, as a hip hop fan, I was like, I was like, I got to shake this cat's hand. And I thought it was a brother. He's like, oh no, my name is Rhett Maddox, whatever. And I was like, oh, this dude's Filipino. And so yeah. that was the first time we were, the first time we met. And, and you know, I met Kaz and Whip and those guys were freaking good dudes, man. They're always like, like mentors. And But then later on um, at Prince's Club Glamstone, it used to be Vertigo in downtown. I was guest emceeing, well, I was emceeing that club and Rhett was a guest DJ. So we sat there the whole night talking hip hop. No kidding, like, like hip hop nerdy now on every record. Where I'd be like, dude, you know, this producer was down with this, and before he was this, he was this and that. And so we would get on a phone and just instantly, like, just we're just hip hop nerds. It's like, it's like getting two comic book nerds together, right? But we're just talking hip hop. Yeah. And then, Rhett, and then Rhett, and that's so that's when I first really Rhett, met Rhett. And then Rhett was like, I got an SB twelve hundred. I'm, I'm making some beats. I'll mail you a tape. Like back then, snail mail. I'll mail you a tape. Give me your number. And he never sent it to me. But then when my business, when my manager was like, hey, I ran into this old, old friend of mine. We used to mobile DJ, you know, with this crew sometimes. His name is Nazareth. I go, Rhett Maddox? I go, you ran into him? I go, that fool owes me a beat tape. So then, yeah. um, so then Rhett, the next day we called him and Rhett's like, come over. So we went to his, his uh, house in Cerritos and went to yeah. his garage. And Rhett, Rhett was friends with uh, Rich One, who created, you know, from NASA crew, he, he did all the design stuff for us and a bunch of stuff, but he, he created Creative Recreation. Then Emil used to be a rapper. He, he became the lead designer for Crooks and Castle, and they blew up with that. But all those guys were on the path of doing design and fashion. They, they didn't want to rap anymore. So Rhett was looking for someone just to rap over these beats. So we, instead of just doing one song, we ended up doing like five songs in like five days or something crazy. And Rhett's like, we should just be a group. And uh, Rich had a name for a group called Cosmonauts. So uh, Rich One, who's, I'm saying he's one of the dopest designers I'm, I know. He, he we, with his blessing, we're like, can we, can we name our group Cosmonauts? He said, yeah, man, I got a logo for it. So we named our crew Cosmonauts and we decided, you know, we're going to be a group from there. So anyway, so I met Rhett somewhat at the same time as I met Zen, but I rode with Zen like a lot earlier than, than Rhett came in the mix. Like about, about a year later, like became 
we came a crew. And in the meantime, when the Mexicans were um, recording, I would go to their sessions. And one day they're like, oh, we're bringing these cats and call home here. I go, yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> yes. my, friend, my friends yes. were like, good life. And they go, there's this group that has a song called, where are you from? And these two Mexican guys, I go, I'll go, I gotta come to that session. I gotta meet these dudes. Him and Cinco came in. They played a tape and they they did they did a song live. Then they started freestyling, and I was like, these guys are the dopest Mexicans I've ever heard. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? and, and, yep. and and so um, and, and, and so then when I, yeah yeah so then when I made my first solo tape, um, we were having a meeting with Immortal Records, and two Mex Alex was um, interning there, and I ran into him. He goes, Yo, man. I was like, I remember you, man. I met you at Track Studios. I'm friends with the Mexicans. He goes, oh, yeah. And I gave him a tape. You know, it was an older tape. So I was just like, but I pressed it up. It had a cover. It was a cassette single. It was, it was my demo. But he goes, yo, you press this up yourself? I go, yeah. I go, don't mind the music on it. I just want to give you my info. He goes, nah, man, that's dope. I can't believe you got your own cover and everything. Like, he was so impressed with it. He was so nice. And so we became friends. Um, uh, he would then me and Rhett started a radio show at UCLA and then, uh, Alex was part of Malathion a, a street promotion like he would drive like the Fujis around and all these people around because they were like a street promotion team and so he would always come and freestyle with us on the air and bring bring through records for us and all that so that's how we all we all kind of started hanging but he was always the nicest most down to earth dude and he was it. actually the last guy to join our crew because um, we had our, our five already we're already rolling and then um we uh, we asked him in the freestyle to be part of our crew we have it somewhere we have it somewhere on tape but <laughs> no doubt. yeah yo kiku man um yep. what what see what the visionaries mean to me is as a college mc and a, just a college kid just buying your whole catalog the first three albums for sure bumping that in my toyota corolla um, dilated peoples and the visionaries was everything to me, you know, and it really guided me on what I, I aspire to sound like in the subject matter and the direction I was trying to go to. So you guys were super influential to me, you know what I'm saying? And like what I was saying is um, for the first five albums, uh, classic, you know, I saw the growth and the progression from from the I mean, you guys always knew how to pick beats. But if, by the time the fourth album came around in 06, it, it became more like, the, it became more soulful, like crop circles was, I felt like crop circles can be totally on the radio. Like there's a lot of joints and um, there's a lot of classic songs you guys did. So I, I definitely want to go per album and just talk about some of the memories of these albums and the songs. And I definitely want to still touch on your work with Jay Dilla, Madlib. Um, I want to talk about Europe a little bit and just the chemistry and the, and, and the ingredients of how the visionaries work because I don't know if you heard this, but it's similar to Wu-Tang in the sense where every member had such a distinct tone distinct cadence flow sound, all five members sound sounded different from each other and you know i got a chance to open up for two max a lot and elemental a couple times in in my mm -hmm. life and um mm -hmm. like just seeing seeing people branch out to solo careers but when it was time to do the the, the visionaries album people come back right on time like nobody missed a step so right. when 
let's talk about uh, 1998. Um, I know it came out in 97 or it got postponed to 98 for galleries. Right. Besides, like, I Love Hip Hop, Blessings, Audible Angels, one of my favorites on that is Stargazers. What are the memories that come to mind with that first album and these classic songs? Like, well, you guys were in your bag on that first album, dog. You know, like, like right. it, it made a lasting impression and you guys had a, off that first album, the cult following was born, you know? Right, right, and right. And it's still here alive to this day. So what memories come to mind with that first album? Um, well, first of all, you know, me and me and Elemento, um, we for here to stay and say where was the first two songs we ever did. So we we're just in the bomb shelter and on Red's best X4 track. And I had made a beat and we, we just he, he and I did did our verses on here to stay and then played it for the guys in the group. They're like, oh sh man, we gotta get on this. So everyone got on it. And then me and him did, did we did say where. Um, and it was just a mess around beat because it was actually the beat from LA Fresh that didn't even come out until Software Gene. That I was messing around and we were trying to write to that beat. And then we, I was just like, you know what? I just started messing with the drums and speeding everything up and just um, and then James was hitting all kinds of keys on my ASR. And then we just like, that's funny. That's a funny ass beat. And then we're like, let's just make like a like a routine with both of us writing a verse and both of us rapping together, like like Run DMC style, you know what I mean? Or, you know, two of us rapping. So then we did that. And then um, Babu ended up throwing it on the World Famous Beat Junkies Volume 1 mixtape, along with a bunch of dope stuff like Arsonist and Company Flow and all that. And we're like, wow, man, like that's dope. And so we, because we pressed it up as a single and it was just supposed to be a white label. So then me, Rhett had booked a gig and Babu booked a gig for, uh, for, um, to play in Chicago. And it was with, it was with Percy P and, um, uh, and, uh, this cat EC Illa from Chicago. And we all, we all were going to do a show there. So we all went out together to Chicago and we were, um, went to, we went to eat and we went back to the hotel and me and Rhett were planning out the follow-up to Cosmonauts. And out of nowhere, Elemento James says, oh, Babu was talking about, oh, yo, man, like, say words, so dope, man. And he was talking about that. And then James out of nowhere goes, why don't we just do a Visionaries album? And then Babu looks at him and goes, and Rhett's like, word? And then Babu's like, man, that would be, you guys should do that. And yep. so when Babu, Babu co-signed because Rhett was like nah man we gotta do it follow up to you know keep calling right back and Rhett was like you down with that kid I was like hell yeah so so that that was where the idea formed to do the Visionaries record now when we when we did the record we're like okay everyone will get like one or two solo songs so like I had Come On and Persistence uh, Riders Block had Couch Potato and then Zen had Larry the Light One Elemental had Rejoice and Praise and then um Bottom of the Barrel slash Live Life, which was actually three songs because Elemento always has to record like 20 songs in like two days. And so we're like, okay, let's do that, the combo song, because he's always doing that, right? And then, um, and then- He's course, always been uh, prolific. He's always been a prolific. He, oh gosh, I mean, he- Always. Yeah, I, have, I have maybe like, I got a full album from him and Mad Lib. I got a full album from him and Babu. I got a full album from him and like every other producer you can name that's never come out and no one's ever heard it like i got so many albums that he's done including wow. albums albums i've done with him like so many like i got so much material that he's never released that he's like prolific no, i'm good and i was like for his 10 pack i was like why don't we use one of those he goes no nah, let's do all new albums i'm like okay <laughs> we just did all new albums so anyway 
it's just him and I'm like I'm never gonna discourage him from from making new albums like I mean he does it on his own regardless yeah. so well anyway and then uh and then Tumix had Pope Mobile and um and of, of course the evidence produced Audible Angels which is to this day like one of my favorite songs ever but um yeah and then so Stargazer I have a verse for that song but once I heard it and it was so perfect as it was and it ends with Elementos saying you know I've, I've came to pants I love Earth yeah I love Earth yeah but I'm taking existence to the next and dude after I go this song is perfect doesn't need another rap on it I go as long as it is but it's a perfect length and I said he's his verse is the last verse I, I was like that's my favorite song on the album and I don't even rap on it and I'm like hands down I go this song is done I go I, I, I'm not getting on this song I go and, it, and and so with that being said that was like one memory of that record the other memory is the fact that our album was done we already did the artwork our artwork was already printed we already had the CD covers on it and and then I ran into J-Rock at the uh, the wake up show uh, when they were doing the Wu-Tang concert at the Palace and in 97 and Elemento had gone to Florida um, because he was going to go to Flor- live in Florida and we're like dude you're going to go to Florida and, and miss the Japan tour and you're not going to be around when we release this record we're like really like you're going to go live there like and he was going to live in a house and then go to Jamaica because um, he was with his family and, 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 and so we're like what this is crazy so I run into J-Rock and J-Rock's like what's up bro like what's up with the album we're like dude you flaked we called you like a like he was known to flake back in the day we're like we called you so many times and you never came through he's like well where's james i go he went to freaking florida bro like he's like nah man nah he's like i gotta get on this record and i go well then i'll pick you up tomorrow and as i was doing that um ironically earlier in the night we're in the lobby all freestyling and then when I looked up, this was after Kobe's first year, I go, dude, who's this tall dude walking okay. in, you know, and he's wearing a bucket cap and all. I go, dude, that's Kobe Bryant. And this was after he had his first rookie year and he, you know, bricked a couple of shots in the playoffs. And But I'm a basketball head. I'm like, what the heck? And then he walks over to us as we're freestyling. He sticks his head in the circle and he's listening. Wow. And we're all like, we're all like, right? we're like, I was like, fuck, it's Kobe. I was like telling everyone, that's Kobe Bryant. I was like, what? He goes, let me get one, let me get one, let me get one, let me get one. And he started freestyling. He, he started rapping like Big Daddy Key, like, I take a move, or shake a move, or shake a break. And take. Wow. And we're, we're like, oh, wow, we're all dude. jumping on him, and like, high, like, like grabbing his shoulders and stuff. And he was all smiling. And he was all happy that we all, we we're all like hyping him. And then, um, so later on, as, um, as I'm talking to J Rock, and we, and we look up and Swain Tech and, and, and Swain Tech have uh, you know Kobe they're like they, we got Kobe Bryant on the Lakers and he's like oh what's up y'all and then um, as he, and then and then Tech joking jokingly goes bro he's like you want to get a verse off and then, and then Kobe turned, he goes oh yeah they're like what and then and then uh, they throw on a beat and of course he does the exact same rap that he did with us I take a break the move and, and we we're like hey man. For him to have a dope verse like that, one verse that he could bust, like that's all. Like he's a he's a pro basketball player. Like, we give him his props, but like so that's like the next day I picked up J Rock uh, over at his pop's house in uh, Westminster. He gets him like a priest. I put I put the boombox between us, and then uh, 
put on a blessings beat and and so like I was freestyling I was like in my Capri's classic thoughts couldn't cut tape deck broken I got the boom box listen you know and so I wrote my verse with Jay uh, you know I didn't do it I didn't do the whole verse in one fell swoop but literally wrote the verse in like 10 minutes and um and it was it was what happened the night before it thought you know uh Thought, thought plot developed from the previous night. Wake up show tour Kobe Bryant on the mic. I was like, yeah. right for a collaboration by consolidated members from two group affiliations, visionaries, beat junkies. What's up to the forest, which is the black forest, right? That's that was Elemental's other crew. That's like they have a classic album too. Wiz one mixed up, mixed our whole album at Scandal Studios, at Steviano Studio. So Wiz One, who's the producer, who also mixed come full circle he mixed v for us so he and the new single so wiz wiz was actually at the show at the winston show with us because he's been rolling to all the shows but he he's wiz one from the black forest who's a they call him wiz because when he lived in atlanta when he was only like 15 or 16 he was like a wiz engineer and he he actually showed he used to he showed all the organized noise guys the guy that produced for outcast he showed them a lot of studio tricks when they were first coming up because they would come into his studio and he'd be like, you gotta do this, you gotta put filters on this, run it through this compression. And so, like a lot of people don't know, this dude helped shape, you know, or helped influence, you know, organized noise who became, you know, frick, those guys are incredible. But he helped those guys when they first started making music, how to, how to make their stuff sound dope. So, you know, there's a lot of weird connections with, with a lot of different people that, that we work with, but anyway so that song blessings was because j-rock was like tripping that elemental left and he thought he thought he left you know for good but he ended up coming back and rocking with us and then rock you know but that was one of those stories where that that elemental leaving inspired j-rock to be like nah man that's why elemental doesn't rap on blessings and james was like that's the best song and that's the best thing that happened because i left and then it came back and it, it sprouted like you know probably our first big hit was Blessings, to be honest. And then, you know, Love Hip Hop ended up taking off after that. That was a B-side of Love Hip Hop, but Blessings Worldwide was like, man, that song, was, it, it, that, that song, we heard it every night on LA radio, which was a trip to us because they would play it every night, man. And, yeah, man. You know, we're me, like, yeah. Go ahead, though. Yo, yo, keep cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I love hip hop that song do you remember anything about that recording session and when you guys record like i just want to know like what was the energy of, the, of that studio session and when you guys recorded i love hip-hop did you guys know you guys have a hit in your hands because that shit right there yo uh, yeah. so many memories man. well I'll what was the I'll energy credit, like in that studio I'll, session? I'll, I'll, so i'll credit my homie uh i grew up with kaza kaz okamoto he's my my boy like we since first grade, we went to Japanese school every day together. Yo, Kiko, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes, I apologize for that, bro. Um, All good. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been having such a great time listening to this. So much history and so much info that I didn't know. Um, so we're going to take, we're going to pick up where we left off. So yep. I was asking you, um, what do you remember about recording I Love Hip Hop when that came out like what was that energy in the session like like did you know you guys have the hit on your hands when you guys recorded well, that well the funny thing is is that um you know when I when I made that beat 
um, it was because my homie Cousin was like, hey, you know, do you have the Wild Style instrumentals? Like, oh, yeah, guaranteed Red does. So um, um, I made the beat and I was like, oh, we got to do this. And oh, Tumex, yeah. Tumex already had, he, he would always rock, we would rock that chorus at shows. Like whenever we yes. were we'd be like, you know, I love hip hop. I don't give a fuck because I love hip hop. You know, Sun got sons. I was rock spot. Yeah. You know, and visionaries always rock. Yeah. So we'd always do that. So when I played them the beat, you know, it was simple to make, right? And then when I played the beat, because it's just a tribute to like, you know, hip hop, I, we were, I was just like, oh, we just got to use that chorus on this. And be like, yeah, it's a no brainer. So we didn't even have to think about it. Um, so when, when, we, when we wrote the verses, it was like one of those songs where the verses just, they just come splattering out. And so all I remember, the funniest <laughs> thing you could ask Elemental about this is after we played it back, Elemental kept going, nah, we can't put this out, man. We can't put this out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, we can't, man. He goes, that's and, hard, and then, bro. And then he, he's like, he's like, we can't. He goes, it's just, it's just too, too catchy, too good. He's like, it's just gonna blow up. And we're like, why? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I'm afraid of this song, man. Like he yes. seriously didn't want to put it out. He goes. And he was like, I That's hate song. this song. He goes, I hate this song. He's like, I don't like this song. He's like, <laughs> he goes, it's just, he goes, it's just, I go, it was so easy because it, it's exactly what it is. He goes, that's the thing. He goes, is it supposed to be that easy? Like, we just, just that's made it and just spit it out like it was nothing. And I was like, because that's what it is. It's that energy. Like, yeah, bro. Is to us. Like, you just, so he knew, he knew you guys yeah. got a monster oh, yeah. in your hands. Like, yo, ask, this was bananas. If you ask him about it to this day, he's like, you remember how much I hated that song? Because I just knew, he's like, I was just so afraid that it was just going to explode. And I felt guilty that, you know, it's almost like you shouldn't have a song that's like this. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, it feels like art should be, you know, he's like, I go, yeah, it's not work because it's hip hop. And that's what it is for us. And he's it's just like, yeah, this is so funny. If you talk to him about it, he knew, he goes, that song he goes this song he goes i don't care how many records it sells or not he's like this is a hit regardless like it doesn't matter yeah so and we le- knew it we knew yeah it. ladies and gents that song right there um uh, yo let me ask you this if you rate it from one two three one being the craziest three being the most chill when you play these songs i love hip-hop side for sore eyes or audible angels who do people go craziest for? For which joint? Like from if you rate it from one to three, like what would be the the craziest crowd reaction? Side for sore eyes, I love hip hop or Audible Angels? Which one? Um, oh, it's 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 definitely I love hip hop because yeah, no matter where we are in the world, even if they've never heard us, like we'll play some obscure town in like Austria or something, or no, not Austria, like like Germany, because Austria will always play like Vienna, so. Um, but some obscure town like Leipzig or something. If we do love hip hop, by the end of the song, they're doing the chorus for us. You yeah. mean? It, whether they know the song or not, at the end, they're just like, I love hip hop. And I'm just like, wow, okay? Yeah. Like everywhere we go, like it doesn't matter if we have built in fans there or not, we, it always wins people over, like everywhere in the world. I don't care where we play, that song always gets people open, which is. You know that, that that that's a that's a crowd winner no matter where yeah. you are. You know the purity. I mean? You could, you could be at, you could, yeah. yeah, you could 
you could be at a kindergarten and the kids would be singing it. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, that man. song always hands down. Um yeah. Visionaries, yeah. man, like that that joint and like the first album, like the whole catalog, but like the way the universe works is as an artist, if you have a song that connects with people, that's mm-hmm. it. You're gonna have longevity. You're gonna mm-hmm. have longevity as long as something sticks. Now, right. before we even get to uh Cypher Stories, let's talk mm-hmm. about sophomore jinx. What was going on in your guys' life? I think at this point, you guys are ready to tour Europe. What's going on in your lives? And what was that process like to get this album done? And such a, such a great name, too, because Sophomore Jinx, did you guys feel like there's some pressure to beat the Sophomore Jinx on this one? Yeah, there was a lot of pressure, actually, because um, at the time, um, after we re- re- released Galleries, like... Um, the record labels were going hard at us because they, they, that's when Jurassic got their deal, Dilate they got their deal, and we had a deal from Sony 550 and DreamWorks and Mammoth Records. We had multiple deals on the table that everyone wanted to sign us. But we didn't, we didn't really feel super comfortable about it because when we would talk to them, the only guys that really kind of knew what was up was Mammoth Records because they, they were more, they're like a major indie, but they dealt with punk rock. So they understood more of the, like these other labels were like, oh, LA Underground is a hot thing right now, right? So they were just trying to swoop up groups. So the first three groups to get approached was us, you know, Dilated and Jurassic. And of course, uh, Black Eyed Peas. Um, But we were just like, nah, we're, we're doing too well on our own. You know what I mean? Like, why would we give up all our percentage? You know, like we were kind of like at the, I'm not sure if we, this is for us. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to have to like have this pressure of making a hit record or whatever. And, you know what I mean? Like, we're just like, nah. So we rejected all these offers, right? And 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 we're like, we're just gonna do it on our own. So we felt this kind of this. Did we make the right choice? Should we have gone this way? You know? And you know, how, how's it? Go? Yeah. It was just one of those kind of like a. Yeah, it was it was a lot of pressure to be honest. But at the same yeah. time, we're like, there's no pressure because we don't care. Like, we just want to make music. So, and w- what was dope about it was, you know, Zen was living across the street from um, the concentrated studio, uh, the studio that that we recorded in. So we would all just all be there all the time. Daniel lived around the corner, you know, in LA, over in Mid City, and then two minutes, you know. So we all kind of like lived there, or, or we're hanging out there. So. What was cool about it was we were spending a lot of time together just before and after the studio. Or, yeah. or at the same time, I had gone back to school to finish my degree. So I was also working at Nike Town. And then I, was, I moved back home. So so we were recording and producing. So I would write raps while I was on the floor at Nike Town and then come home and record them. So I would just memorize them. And then I would, I would, I would spit it out on, on a, onto, you know, onto tape or whatever, onto ADAT. Um, and when I got home, you know, I would have a late night. So I was like, you know, I was killing it in school. I was finishing up, getting straight A's and, and you know, getting all my stuff done because I was more, you know, I was older and more mature. And I was like, I got a record to finish. I got a label to run. I got, you know, I, I got a part-time job to help supplement some income for now, you know. And so I was doing everything. So it felt like a whirlwind. At the same time, I felt like, damn, I could do everything and and, and, and do it, you know, be okay at, at making sure I get everything done. And honestly, like, you know, at that point, you know, um, I started cutting down the weed smoke and stuff like that, just because I had a lot of things to balance and, and, and 
you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other, but I was just like, I just need to prioritize and make sure that when I do do things, I need to make sure that, you know, I do it at the right time. So all my friends, you know, all the guys in the group are always just like, if I partake in something, it's like, oh man, it must be a special occasion because he's taking a hit, you know, but it's just like, I just cherish like, you know, to me, it's you know regardless of what it is i just i just had too much on the plate to be able to juggle that aspect of it into it too i just felt like i'm better um in certain spaces you know handling things in a different way but like i said it was just lifestyle changes and mentality changes but yeah sophomore jinx though man it was super fun and and todd mumford mum's a word you know he he engineered a lot of the stuff that we did in l.a you know, um, stuff I did at my house was different, but it was it was good times. And Todd ends up being like Jay Z's lawyer and all that later. And we're like, man, he went on and did big things. Like it's 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 pretty dope to see him have this attorney career as a as a music attorney and handling all the the, the biggest clients that you could think of. And, and here he was, this dude just chilling. And he's from San. He went to UCSB, so he uh, he he's actually we spent. You know, he he introduced us to Madlib and those guys back in the day. So wow. he's got that he's got that 805 connect too. So wow, he's a good dude though. What would be your top three songs that meant a lot to you in sophomore Jinx? That really from sophomore Jinx, yeah. Um, top three songs that meant a lot to you. Well, for sure, La Fresh. Yup, yup, um, yeah. Just because and and like I said, that beat I made you know during during. Um, during galleries and it was actually a record Razcast gave to me. Wow. Um, so 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 um he was all stoked when you heard that song finally come out. And then um um and then I think for sure come on come all because that was like a beat that I made and it, it's actually another one of those beats that I had at regular tempo and then I just slowed it down and like did it did it like a I just slowed it down to like the speed it is because there's a normally if you speed that sample up you'll hear it it was actually a beat and then when i slowed it down i was like oh, i could just hear zen and, and alex chopping on this song and um I remember elemental wrote a verse to it he's like i don't like my verse to this the song you know and i was like i didn't make i said i didn't ask you to put a verse on this he got all mad at we had an argument over it we laughed about it he's like i said i didn't ask you to rap on this i wanted <laughs> You know, Alex and, and, and Zen to rap on that. He's like, you're a jerk. <laughs> like, even to this day, we laugh so hard. But that, yeah, I love that song. Just because I was like, I wanted two MCs and Rhett will, will have a DJ verse. Like, I don't know if he's at the end of a song. I want him to have a verse as a, no, as a DJ. Like, cause, cause because of my experiences, like, being in scratch sessions, like, at, at that very same house when when we did Turntable Wizardry, that, that, that DJ video. Uh, but I had I had a crazy session with Babu, Melody, me, and Cubert and Shortcut and Rhett. We were just scratching phrases in my in that bedroom, and I just had a beat on loop on my ASR ten. <clears throat> so just remembering what it was like to like have like a freestyle session with the DJs, I was like, oh, Rhett should just get a verse off on this. You know what I mean, like like a, a DJ verse. So yeah. we would session out. We would switch every eight bars or every sixteen bars, and you know, and we would just every one guy would jump on, and we would just take a phrase. Like I would take an acapella of a record, and then see who could take that same phrase and break it down. And I, I was the least skilled, but I was I would always break it down differently because I was an MC. But you know, I, I would I would take a phrase and I would take it back, and so then I was like, oh, that's L. Then one guy would do it and just like do it crazy different but dope. 
oh, I never thought about doing this. And, and so like rhythmically, the phrasing and the, the chops on scratching is no different from chops as an MC, right? Because it's all rhythm. So learning that, I was like, okay, I want Rhett to get his verse off. And so that's why Come On, Come On to me. It was like creatively, I was like, that song to me, I was like, wow. That And to this day at shows, it hits the mark, right? So, yeah, man. Because um, performative is just like seeing the, 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 the alignment of a MC and a DJ. So I think those two songs were like really meant super a lot. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then, and then the other song is um, on that, the last one that I'd say, um, well, spiritual warfare, one thing, like the verses, like I talk about Buddhism and, and James was like at that time born again. So it was kind of dope how religiously we, we, we dropped verses talking about the philosophies of, of, of our, our spiritual beliefs or whatever at, at the time. But so that that's a, that's 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 one for the back burner. But I think um, um, which which we'll call it uh, what's a uh, tip not tipping the scale. Is it tipping the scale? Tipping the scales. Yeah, Lie, yeah, yeah. Cheat, steal, kill. So that beat was the first beat that Rhett and I ever did together. Like I did the sample and Rhett did the drums. Wow. So, so that was the first time we like, cause, cause I, at one point, you know, you're just making beats, but I was like, hey Rhett, I got a sample. Can you do the drums? So that was one of the first songs that we've done that we did together like that. So, um, and then just the way Zen and and, and James wrote on it, I was like. Yeah, I don't know, for some reason that, that sounds super special to me just because of the, the whole feel of the kind of dark, talking about the children, you know what I mean? Uh, and um, talking about just the state of, of, of kind of like how things were at the time of just us being concerned with just how society was going, right? And how people were just into a bunch of, you know, BS, BS, still to this day, right? People get caught up and we're like, we're trying to tip it back towards just the good things that we like you know that we believe oh. in. anyway so yo um be cool man like well ladies and gents let me explain what's going on in 2004 so like this is my second year in college i'm driving mm-hmm. a 91 toyota uh, toyota corolla mm-hmm. i got a i got a six cd changer i can mm-hmm. fit six cds on there right. and when i bought pangea at target i was there was a target right across cassie fullerton from the album cover to the biggest singles on that album, it, from the outside looking in, to me, it felt like that was the biggest Visionaries album up to date from that, like at that point, you know, like, and it was like, um, at this point, people branched out to do their solo careers, but it was highly anticipated because like they're coming back as a group. And mm-hmm. let me ask you this, man. Uh, I got questions. For, so as an as a Oxnard native, I was super delighted to find out that Can Kick produced Cypress Sorise. Mm-hmm. This is one of those CDs where I played so much, I scratched up the CD so much so, till I couldn't play the CD no more. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first heard Cypress Sorise, <laughs> when you guys first heard Cypress Sorise, bro, what the fuck is your reaction? Oh my god. Yo, 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 be cool. I'm gonna tell you right now. From MC to MC, I included that instrumental in my set for like two years. Mm-hmm. I would rhyme, mm-hmm. I would, I would rhyme over that key cool for like two years straight. That instrumental. Um, so, what, what was your reaction when you first heard that beat? Well, wow. So yeah. So Ooh. again, mum is a word. Who's in with, with all the, the you know, Mad Lib and Kanka and all them beating that, that motherfucking school. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he. He was he was um, putting together Karen Kick's album for him the, from Arts Unknown, 
Yeah. And and he had saved that beat for us. Wow. So, so that is a yeah, I'm sorry. So basically, so basically Planet Asia was so angry about that. <laughs> when he heard the beat, he's like, no. he's like, I'm getting on that beat. And then Todd's like, nope, that's a visionary's beat. And yes. Asia was like, Asia was like so angry about it that <laughs> I remember when when we played uh Moby's area area 51 show and and oh, when that shit. beat dropped when we when we opened our set Ooh. as it's dropping he's like you motherfuckers that's that beat yo that and beat right like, there. yeah and, and you know he's our friend and stuff but he's like that's that and, and that's exactly Ooh. like I literally wrote Ooh. that verse again in like five minutes because it yo. was just like there's nothing you can spit on that that won't be fire. It's that beat is just so incredible. Like, and we walked in and he played. I was like, "Oh my gosh, boom!" You know what I mean? And and I think when I came in, because we were across the street at Zen's, I think uh, I was the last one to jump on it. And and because I was doing so, oh, I was at work. I came home. I think I came back from work. I walked in the studio. Everyone had their verses. I was like, "What ah. in God's name?" And I was just like, it's the anchor, man, like, damn, but I'd rather rock a Vitalia and fatter. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, that was it. Like, I didn't even, the, the lyrics spilled on the page on its own, because it's just like, it's like there's 20 different things I wanted to write to that, you know what I mean? But it just all just came out, you know? Yeah, that beat. And yeah. so that beat was for his Arts Unknown album. Wow. And then, uh, and then uh, Babu put it on Duck Season, and... And, um, he, that's right. That's yeah. right. He yeah. did. He so that, did. That, that tied us over because we didn't have you know there's a big right. gap between between '98 and 2000. So when that that I remember when I went out to New York and I was in a studio session with uh, Diamond D. And wow. His weed, and his weed guy came to drop <laughs> off, um, and he was Alchemist's roommate. So this, this cat. And You're he funny. was like, yeah. So his, his weed guy came. And then, um, and then, um, and he goes, "Hey, where you from?" And I'm like, "Oh, LA." He goes, "Oh man." He's like, "I'm so into LA underground hip hop." I go, "Really?" He started. He goes, "Oh, I love, I love Madlib. I love this." And he goes, "Oh man, this group, the Visionaries." And I look at him. I start laughing. Right? I go, "Visionaries?" I'm like, "I'm in the Visionary." He goes, "Yo, B, yo, yo B, that sight <laughs> for sure eyes on that duck seat. Yeah, that's what put me up on y'all, man. That can kicks beat." Yeah, and then Diamond D was like, "Who are you, bro?" And I go, "Oh man, I, I go, I rap too." And Diamond yeah. was like, "Damn, yeah. man!" He goes, "I guess I ain't relevant anymore." I go, "Bro, do you understand that Madlib's crew was called Crate Diggers Palette? Like, yeah. because yeah. we were fans of you, brother. Like, we grew up listening to you know stunts, stunts, and hip hop, and 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 all you. I go, you even produced from Man Rise. You did a remix for him that was the dopest." Soul and Ice remix. I go, do you understand your inspiration to us? And that got him going because he was like, kind of like, because when he was in the session, he was honestly kind of like disengaged. I'm like, it disheartens me to see you not involved in your project, like just kind of like not really into it. I go, you're an inspiration to us, man. Yeah, man. But, but the fact that that can kick beat had that cat, that New York yeah. cat was like, I'm up on all y'all shit now because of that. Check this out, ladies and gents. Like, um, I want to give a shout out to Reef for uh, for booking the visionaries. I want to give a shout out to all the opening acts at Winston that night. 
Um, I've been following the Visionaries for sure, especially with these last four or five shows that they've been doing at Santa Ana and then in Factory at, at the Yost, um, the, uh, the, Ocean, the Ocean Beach show. Um, I'm still high off that show. My natural high hasn't come down. Yo, Kiku, man, for real. My, my, my natural high hasn't come down from that show, man. Um, I was telling Kiku off air that it's such a class act because to all my MCs out there, like, no matter how dope you think you are, and sometimes as MCs, we get up, we get caught up in their own ego and their own hype. No matter how dope you think you are, you're gonna feel super humbled when you get around some real legends. And what I mean is, you know, super professional, man. The Visionaries was the first one there to set up the merch. The Visionaries was the first one there to do sound check. True class act and professional and shows true humility. They sat and watched all the opening acts patiently and they got on stage and wrecked it. And and me as a student of the game, I, I'm, I'm so glad, Kiku, that I'm still learning something new from you guys. You feel me, bro? For real, man. Like, oh, man. humility does not exist in this industry no more, bro. And when I saw that and looking at everything you've accomplished, you guys have accomplished, like, I'm humbled, man. And it keeps me going, bro. Thank you. For real. Oh, that man. song changed my life. That song was one of those life-changing songs as, a, as an artist. For real, bro. Yeah, I mean, thank, thank you for sharing that. I mean, for real, we felt like that was uh, definitely the, um, you know, we, we say when all, every time like for us, when we're going through adverse situations or, you know, things are happening, even with shows, like certain, certain things happen. And then that's when, when that happens, it really brings us together even more, more, uh, I would just say we come out with this extra oomph. Like every time we've had one of those, those moments where there's a show that something happens and there's riot police outside or something and then we just like it just you know it pushed it, it, it jump starts you it just pushes you well that can kick song yeah honestly man. was like we were kind of like in that state of like hmm we're gonna work on something and then when that when we did do that song and the momentum that it just it, it supercharges because then we Woo! started opening our sets with that Woo! and people are like what in the hell is that Yep. and it's just yeah that that was that was really a breath of life like can cake like oh man, man. I, that did, we were so thankful for him um and when we told him we're gonna put on our album too and he was like super like humble about it he's like he's like you don't gotta pay me we're like whoa and he's like right you know we're, we're just like we we bargained we gave him some equipment and stuff like that just because we're like bro like you know that how much you did for our career just that beat <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? man yo you know I I want to give a shout out to DJ Babu and um, Can Kick and for the visionaries if, if the members can hear this interview I oh I how do I say this man when, when that song came out I felt like the visionaries was also representing Oxnard hard like like you guys were rapping the OX too by putting that beat on the album man oh, yeah. it was oh, such yeah. a good look for the city um and okay so the biggest hit one of the other biggest hits is if you can't say love mm-hmm. now the music video, the whole look and the vibe for the video, and then when you when you do the song live, uh, Kiko, what does it do for your soul when you do the song live, bro? Um, I mean, recently, like I literally like at the the Yo show, I, I was literally cheering when I was doing my verse because, uh, you know, my 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 dad recently passed away. My deepest um, condolences, fam. My deepest oh, condolences, bro. Yeah, thank thank you. But he he was able to come to. Uh, my my auntie and uncle from Oxnard, they're like, we've never been to one of your shows, but coming down to the gallery fest. So they wow. 
they drove down, they picked my parents up and they, they came to the show. So wow. you know, my last big show that I did in Santa Ana was, you know, my dad was there and I was so happy that, you know, for the first time in years, he was able to come to a show with my mom. Wow, amen, and So when amen. I did that song, yeah, so when I did that song, it's like, it seriously, every time we do it, it's like all of those feelings off, you know, even that day, you know, you see my dad in the video taking pictures. Like he has a whole stack of pictures he took that day of everyone there. But it was literally, um, it wasn't a music video shoot. It was a family get together. Like AWOL brought his kids and, and, and all the other people that were there. They were seriously like people that we would invite to our house just for a, a get together. My, my, my brother and my sister, their kids, you know, yeah, everyone um, that was there was pretty much, you know, some of the shapeshifters like Pablo and Dai. Um, all those guys that came were like people that would just be at, literally be at our houses, our families' houses, just chilling with us. And so we were like, what you see there was actually like people just having a barbecue and we just happened to, okay, get some verses off. And, and Andrew Gura, you know, the director was really like great at just making sure he was just capturing, you know, what was actually going on there. And, and so, um, but that song was funny because, um, when Jared gave us a beat, we're like, what in the world? This beat is like, it was so different. We're like, yeah, yeah. man. <clears throat> and, and so, um, and then uh, we told Rhett that we're going to use, that, you know, that beat. And then um, because it sounds so, it has that feel to it. Jared, his one, his, this is his one direction was just don't make, you know, just don't talk, just don't say love and make it like a love song or something like that, right? And when he yes, said yes. that, we were all laughing. I remember sitting in our Carson office, the, our second office in Carson. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, way two minutes talks. He's like, "You can't say love. You can't say love." <laughs> all right, let's make this chorus. That's tight. Literally, all of us, entries, five of us, we sat there and we're like, "Hmm." We're like, "Okay, it's gonna, it's gotta say if you can't say love, like." So we're like, let's listen to the sample. And we all contributed like one or two words to it. Like literally five of us collaborated to, since you were always here, we wrote the song. Oh, how about time we share? Uh, time, time we share. And if you can't say love, we start laughing. We're like, he's going to hate us for this. So we almost wrote the song as kind of like a, the chorus was a, kind of like a joke. Like, let's see if he's going to like tell us he hates our guts or he's going to tell us he loves us. Like it's going to be a love or hate thing. And so when we finally played the song for him, he had that grin like, you guys are dicks. And he goes, that song is incredible. You guys are assholes. We're like, you inspired us to make a whole song about what, what we loved and believed in just because you said don't write a... We're like, we're not going to write a love song. It's not going to be like a, you know, a song about trying to mack with a girl. Like, it's going to be love, like true love, like love between brothers, families, mothers, kids, pets, whatever, like true love. So Let me, yo, that, yo, that, that, that's a funny yeah. story though. Yo, Kiko, I know you got three hits. Like, in my opinion, right? Like, I think your your three biggest hits, the group's three biggest hits is I Love Hip Hop, Side for Sore Eyes, and If You Can't Say Love. Mm -hmm. Now, let's not, let, let's forget about sales and streams. Let's forget about all of that. But mm -hmm. just performing in front of a crowd and, and, and seeing their energy, which one you think is your biggest hit? Off the energy of the crowd alone. Which one do you think is like the biggest de de definitive visionaries hit? Um, like if aliens come down and they want to see what's the visionaries' biggest hit, what would, I, the, what would you want the people to give them? I mean, I would have to. For, so, 
<laughs> all different vibes, all different vibes, yeah, all if, big hits though, for real. If you can't say love, definitely it's like male and female because mm. like our female fans are like everyone's always like you guys always have all these beautiful women at your shows that's like because <laughs> we we're not misogynistic we we embrace everyone right like yes yes we, we, you know like you might hear the b word come out but it's on a song or whatever but it's like in context of something else not calling a woman that right like it's always like in context of what what we're talking about it's not like you know we're never like we 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 love our and respect our mothers and the mothers of our children like we are like so if you can't say that i would say universally yeah we do that song like if someone just and plus a video like organically has yes. a million views we didn't buy yes. any of those views like everyone doesn't realize that a lot of these yep. views are bought we didn't buy anything. We we paid for no promotion. That's all straight from the people, yeah. man. Straight mm-hmm. from the people's hearts, man. So, you know what I'm saying? So I would say on that universal level, I would say that song because like worldwide, the streams like from all the countries for that song is just crazy. It's humongous, but, um, yeah. but I'd, I'd say um, on the other hand, the reaction for Love Hip Hop, like I said, people could have never heard the song, but because of what we're talking about, I think that universally connects. But like, Cypress so Our Eyes, when a beat drops, Ooh. you just see people lose it because the beat is just, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That Yo. beat alone is just one of those, like, it's like you just lit a match. Do you know what I mean? When it drops, people are like, what is this? Yeah. And, and that's where I'm like, that, that's all credit to Teddy. I mean, to Kangi. You know, that's so, one of the greatest yeah. beats ever made in hip hop. Yeah. For real. Oh, it's yeah. one of the, oh, yeah. It's one of the greatest beats in hip hop ever. Oh, yeah. And ladies and gents, when I was on stage, it was well, at the Winston show at the Ocean Beach. It was the second song that the Visionaries did that night, right? Mm-hmm. And I was on the right, uh, I was on the right wing of the stage, just, just getting the footage from the right wing. But at some point, I was like, you know what? I need to put this phone down and just enjoy this shit mm-hmm. as a fan and just, just, just be in awe. Like, and I'm still, we're all naturally high from that show, still, man. Um, key cool meeting of the minds who made all the that another amazing song there's some crazy moments in this album meeting of the minds who made all the fucking beats in meeting of the minds that was me and Brett that was me and Brett the the original version was a beat wow the original beat was a beat that Brett made and I was like this song is I was like this song is so long I'm like we got so many MCs I go dude let's let's uh, pay tribute to like I'm the man by Gangstar right like where they have you know Lil Dap and Jerry <laughs> you know and Classic. they put the beat you know Rhett's like but there's like you know he's like but that's like a whole album's worth of beats almost and I was just like that's the point I'm like amazing I'm like, amazing yeah. concept bro yeah yeah so I sat there with Elemento and I'm like oh here's one and boom Oh, here's another boom and then I was like and then, and then when I pitched it to Brett dude we had like a long conversation I was like we have to do it I was like I don't care I was like our, our, we got most of the record done but we just gotta get all get all your dopest whatever I just make new ones I'm like just do it and so when we did it and then, and then piecing them all together like because we had to mix them separately <laughs> piece it back together yeah yeah so yeah. uh sure. to our engineer Braden um, Brad and Eddings, uh, Brad and, uh, what a fucking you know, classic album. Yeah. Man. Brad, so Brad was like, okay, here's how we do it. So then we, yeah, we mixed it. Um, 
instead of two tracking it, we mixed every beat and then we, we threw it all back together again. And yeah, man, it was like one of those, like even recording it was like a challenge because I, I, was, I, was, I was doing it onto ADAP. This is right when we were merging into Pro Tools. Wow. So then, then um, and then so when we edited it in Pro Tools, it was easier, but it had to get to a certain point and, and to do mixing that, it was like mixing the album, I'm serious. Like we took days on it and then really got it to, to, to sound the way it did. But yeah, I was fun, man. That was like one of those like challenges that was like afterwards, me and Riley came for like, dang, we actually did it. Like we pulled it off and it was like, Wow, what a project within a project. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. One of the sure. greatest hip hop songs ever made is that song. I always felt like that was the West Coast version of Protect Your Neck. You know, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's like that West Coast version. And um, so, yo, from everything, from that album cover, who made that cover? So, so, the painting was Mirror One from CBS Crew. You know, Mirror is a world-renowned graffiti artist and he mm. does like the sickest political he's got if you look up mirror one's art like if you don't know graph like if you look up mirror one like you go to switzerland you go everywhere and he has these giant murals that, that he's he the, the dude is a true visionary and and we're we're at a festival in uh, the soul fest at macarthur park in la and we ran into him because he was doing some some uh uh, either it was live painting or he had an exhibition there. Anyways, and he said, you guys are working on some new shit. We're like, yeah, we're going to do an album. He goes, like, what's the title? We're like, Pangea. He goes, I got to do the cover. I got to do the cover. I got I to do a portrait or something of you guys. And so he, he did a couple paintings. He did the cover and then he did, you know, the inside um, painting of, he just he did another piece for the inside. And so, um, you know, that's where we came up with the box set concept where we had six, all the, instead of doing the double vinyl, we had six, six pieces of 12 inches with all the songs on it and one seven inch. So it's seven continents, seven pieces wow. of vinyl. And, you know, we sold it for a crazy amount of money and it sold out within like an hour or something. Wow. And so um, we're finally going to do a double vinyl though, because everyone's been asking, how come, how come you never did a double vinyl? They're like, we did the box set, that was it. They're like, but that was only like 500 copies. We're like, well, that was it. That's it. And, and so <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll finally so, do a double vinyl for the, the, the thir- uh, 25th anniversary next year. So we'll, we'll do it. It's crazy we'll how classic. Um, it's crazy how classic <laughs> albums can take you back at a certain time of your life. You know. I um, mean, 20th anniversary, my bad. But, um, but yeah, wow. man. So yeah, that. I can't believe it's been 20 went. years. Wow, 20 yeah. years since Bangia. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy, bro! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The layout was uh, Kenny Hong. Kenny Kenny uh, is a designer. He did a lot. He was an art director, and he did a lot of our our, our covers and stuff. So he he added a lot to it too, because he he incorporated the the painting into like a, the whole layout of the whole thing. He got compasses and old maps, and he, he just he, as I'm looking at the original files, I'm like, dude, he he. He, the dude is super talented. I mean, he killed it on the, the cover as well. So he did all the art direction on it. So, but the painting was by Marilyn. And for the packaging of that album, it was like a booklet. When I bought that in Target, it was a, it wasn't a CD case. It was like a booklet. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I love how they packaged that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yo, I noticed all the album covers from galleries, sophomore jeans, mm-hmm. all the album covers always had a test. It was always a statement with the with the visionaries covers, man. It's, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It was part of the whole packaging and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2006 comes around, all right? So we're the ones we've been waiting for. And mm-hmm. the, and the 
The album titles of the Visionaries too is always classic, and I want to touch on your work with Jay Dilla and Madlib on this one.、Mm-hmm. Um, what are the similarities between both producers, and what are the differences on, on your on your work with them? Like, what are the similarities and differences、um, between the two? I mean, I think as as far as the songs we did, I mean, obviously, you know, the the Madlib beat was our other crew cut. You know the posse cut that we had. You know, RBX, Adidas, Raka, and YZ. All, all these, all, all the cats that got on it were like, you know, legends in our mind that that we we listened to growing up as well. Oh, Brother J from X Clan as well. Wow. You know, got you know, but beat wise, we're just like, we just needed something that was hype, and you know, Madlib has all kinds of beats, and and so when we picked that one, we wanted one. We wanted to pick one that would be fitting and opening up, and you know, Madlib. That dude's a, like, you don't throw the word genius around, but that dude's just a genius. And, and you know, it was just a matter of picking something that was hyped, but you know, opening up for for everyone's verses to cut through. And we're like, we're not going to switch the beat for every MC on this one. So it had to be a beat that could last. You know what I mean, like that you could hear so many different MCs on it without getting tired of it. So with that beat, it just it just had a good energy about it. It was just really moving and. And and、um, and so it was just I don't know I think I think we're just happy to to, to have Otis on a record like that and, and and as far as the the Jay Dilla one now we had our choice of a bunch of beats and everyone in the group wanted <clears throat> different things because <coughs> it's it's just how dope Dilla is you know what I mean there's he has a lot of, like a lot of jazzy vibe ones and he has, he has some that are just like. In your face, grimy, you know, just hitting. But something about that sample and that beat with "All Right" just resonated. It was just sounded very, it was different, and it, hell it yeah, very, it felt very uplifting. You know what I mean?、It、yes, like yes. The mood felt like kind of like when we heard "If You Can't Say Love." It was just yes, yeah. It was like it doesn't sound like any Jay Dilla beats that I could think of even to、yep. this day. And yep. Then, um, And little do, and also I don't know if in our in our minds because we knew how sick he was because Brett was DJing for him all through Europe and all that, so we already knew he was sick. So maybe like subconsciously, instead of getting like grimy and in your face, didn't like if it was if it was like Slum Village days or if it was right after, maybe it would have felt like oh this, this you know even during the the、uh, you know the the Mad Lib、uh, the the J Lib record like okay maybe we would have done something grimy and rough. But for some reason, I think we gravitated towards doing something that was kind of uplifting, just knowing the fragility of where he was. You know what I mean? And so I think that resonated more with us collectively.、Yeah. So when we did the song "All Right," like you know,、um, it, it it was like a, lot, a couple other cats were you know we, we just it just the whole feel was kind of like knowing people were. People that we knew that were close to us passed or were, were sick and all that, and I think we just kind of, and also our state in our lives, like you know, a couple of us, more of us were having kids, and I didn't have kids yet at the time, but I don't know. There, there's just a, like a lot of change happening, and we're at a different place. So I think we wrote that song with this kind of whole feel that was like a, I don't know, it was just up. It, it, like I said, the mood of the beat just felt like it made you feel like. Stronger for some reason, it made you feel、yes. like some sort of.、Uh, it felt very uplifting. So I, that was like the two major differences between those songs. Because you know, honestly, like I'm a fan of both producers, like hardcore, right? Obviously, like 
who isn't but but for for the choices that we made in direction i think you know that that's where um that's where we landed with it and and the the hard thing about it was in you know dilla heard or I, i don't even call him dilla you know J, jd heard it um you know before he passed and gave it you know uh, we're glad that he he gave it the thumbs up he liked it and um it was like yeah word you know he, he told you know he, he he gave his blessing on it and stuff like that and then he passed like soon after and so we didn't want to exploit the fact that we had done a song with him at all it was going to be a single or whatever and, and we kind of just put in a back burner didn't do a video like we just felt like and then it just didn't feel right because it felt like everyone was kind of like it was kind of like didn't feel right that a lot of people were just kind of exploiting him yes yes it, it felt, i don't know if they were but it felt as if it felt that way and we didn't want to be a part of it you know what I mean? so we just kind of like let it lay low and maybe in hindsight maybe we should have done more but we're just like nah like he just let it you know we did a song with him that's fine like let's not let's not exploit it man like this man his, you know his family's you know like it just that's just not us to do that you know what i'm saying like a lot and then it was weird like some other people got got a beat tape of that and they made a song acting like it was their song and i was just like why would you do that man like that that's just he he wouldn't have given it to you you know what i mean he, he knew it like we worked with him on it you know what i mean like we didn't take a, we didn't take it and just you know this is our song you know what i mean it's not just a mixtape where we're just taking his instrumental rap and saying, oh, well, this is my song in here. Like, come on, man. Like, I don't know, something, it's just, uh, that's where I'm just like, I feel a little weird about it sometimes that people just say, oh, I work with JD and I know a couple cats, I'm not gonna name them that did that. And I'm just like, well, he passed already. Like, no, it's not true. And they had to retract what they said about it, but that's, this is not right. You mean the man has, has passed away. Just let his legacy be. I mean, stop trying to, trying to, uh, clout chase with 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 someone that's passed you know what i mean so anyway. for real yeah so so ladies and gents there was like um i was telling key cool that these last two albums uh 2006 and 2020 and v especially you know there was a quite a gap from 06 to 2020 for the v album mm-hmm. drop um what i was telling key cool is i started hearing the men all five members shed some personal some personal issues like i started seeing them talk about a uh, family what it's like to have wife and kids our, mm-hmm. our parents getting older and how that feels or the pressure that we feel from that and mm-hmm. yo um i want to give props to danu um a uh, filipino mc and th- this is what really like you know the visionaries is so real there's a bar that he did either on this album or the 06 album the bar the bar quote me if I'm wrong it went something like this he said there's family drama during the holidays so he there's a bar where he goes it's either I become the mediator or I look like a hater or a mm-hmm. traitor or a, or a traitor but you gotta pick one well, yo when he said that shit I'm like oh my god mm-hmm. that's how that's how mm-hmm. it feels and you know what little like like those like those bars like that it lets me know like motherfuckers are real you feel me though dog like this is real this is real life and that's how life goes right 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 that's how life goes right 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 and i i really connected with that so let me ask you this like 2020 for all of us who who love 2max and their uh, supporters of 2max 
you know, I love the loyalty and the camaraderie of the visionaries because when Tumex was very public and transparent about his health issues on Instagram, um, I see the group rally behind him and support him and raise funds and I, I, I saw you guys come together regardless if no matter how long the last album has been and honestly keep cool man thank you for like for like showing just what loyalty looks like in this crazy time in life you feel me though dog like yeah yeah I mean thank you it's yeah it was just with him it's just like you know we we literally had to to make sure that you know he, he was taken care of you know what I mean and, and it's just like again you know we we all had you know we hadn't done a record in a, in a, in a very long while but right. we were still we were still doing shows everyone thought we broke up we're like no we, we're actually hanging out as family more than anything yeah. we, we're getting tighter and closer than we had ever been it's just our goals and stuff wasn't to do stuff but when you got sick you know right now we're the first ones that, that got to go see him and, and I mean, the details that you could, you should interview him about. It, it was crazy. Um, but when we all went out, finally we were all there together, and, and he's just like, "We gotta do a record together, guys." Now I don't know how much time I have left, and I was, we we're just like, "All right, we're not gonna just do a record because you got sick, but you know, we gotta let, let let these things happen naturally." And so we started kind of doing stuff, and then um, and then when 2020 came around. We're like, okay, we have a bunch of material, but we should just release it for the people because we're everyone's stuck at home, and we we had you know some more songs to finish out, and we just you know really just came together and, and really uh you know decided we we're going to release it during the during the pandemic because you know uh, everyone was going through a lot you know personally and, and, and the world was as well. So yeah, man. But I mean, as far as what what being there for Alex, it was just like. I had just gone through having to take care of my mom. She went through like some major spells where she almost passed in front of me. So everything yeah. and all the whole system and all the way everything worked, healthcare was like I knew what to do. You know what I mean? So it helped. Where I was already in that mode of like, okay, well here, let's do this, let's do that. You know, his parents have you know they they have limited you know English speaking, you know, and and so I was just like, here we gotta do this. You know, we gotta call these people. We gotta do these things. And, I was just kind of in already like mode to understand how to how to um, what you call it um, advocate for someone's health. So it helped, you know. And, and so all of us were just you know doing whatever we could, and we didn't think that the GoFundMe and all that was going to do what it did. But we're like, this is do anything because you know for artists a lot of times healthcare and all that isn't really at the forefront of things. The access isn't there. So you know we just did whatever we could, and it really, I mean, literally everyone. The community, the fans, friends, everyone came through in a big way, like financially helping him. You know, that was amazing. So, and you know, to this day, like we still appreciate every day we have together, like regardless. You know, and, and I think that's changed a lot of our perspective of everything. Like we're just happy to we're happy to get together and just rehearse. We're just happy to be in the same. We have Zoom calls every week from there. From there, good every week. You know, we all good. get on together and just talk junk, talk business, talk junk whatever but every week consistently we've been doing Good, it since 2020 man. you know what i mean and, and so it's dope man like i, I love closer it, to my brothers than i than i have ever you know what i mean and, and we joke around we have little you know arguments here and there but it's never arguments it's always been this constructive 
discussions you know what I mean and mm-hmm. you know it's it's different like we've had our ups and downs where people are mad at each other and all that but we work it out because we're all we're all good people and, and we, we we learn how to communicate with each other we've all grown together and it's it's not the same type of ego that you had when you first started you know what I mean and we, I'm just lucky that all the brothers we all we're all good hearted dudes you know what I mean like, oh yeah the that, that's the reason why we became a crew because you know like you deal with a lot of people that are all ego and all that, but I just, we all saw that in each other. We, we all love our parents. We all, you know, are humble in a way. And we all, we're all beasts in another way. Like, you know, you see, yes. you see fools, see, you know, like at the right time, like, oh man, like fools are, fools are serious cats. Like, and that's what's funny is like, when people see that side of us, they're like, oh, they didn't know, right? And I'm like, cause you don't, you should never have to flex like that only in times of emergency or whatever but if you do like i'm telling you the 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 fakest thuggiest thug of, of cats like they don't they don't they don't mess with cats in our crew right because we don't act like that but if you know the this is one of those things right like you don't have to posture if you know that you can handle those right so yeah. and, and that's where i'm like that's why like you can call us what you want we don't care but if you're into us because you like what we're saying it's because that's what we, we only say what we believe in. We don't believe in, you know, posturing and thuggery and this this fake toughness. I mean, like the the toughest, most resilient people are usually not the ones that are puffing their chest out all the time, right? Yeah. We we respect anyone that that takes care of their own and, and you know their loved ones, and we we respect any anyone that that cares about the people they care about. Yeah, more than themselves. You know what I mean? Like, because that's how it should be, right? And so yes. that's what we're about, and that's what we've always been about. And it kind of is a weird mix, you know. Like, I don't know if there's room in hip hop for that, but if there's not, that's why we re- we release our own records. We don't really care. We just we ride with the people that ride with us because we know if they're into us, then they they must believe at least in some of the same things that we do, and that that means you're good. That's why everyone's like, I go to visionary shows, and I meet you know whoever's there, a lot of them, and everyone's so damn cool and I'm like it's because they know what's up because they don't live by that I mean everyone has makes mistakes don't get me wrong but I'm saying majority of the people here are, are, are on that good stuff like being trying to be a good person you know what I mean? yes yes sir and we all try we all make mistakes I mean trust yeah, me man. we all do but if you can learn and admit your mistakes and, and be humble and, and be like my bad I messed up sorry like then you can mend those mistakes, right? And mm-hmm. so, so that's what it's about: growth and, and continuous growth and change, and yes. always being open to new ideas, right? And that's what it is in life, right? So, and that 2020 album V, it definitely reflects growth. It definitely reflects mistakes. Like mm-hmm. um, the, the the music for those 15 joints. I'm not saying that it got darker. But I can't deny the fact that you can hear the influence of, of, of what COVID did to everyone's minds in that album, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. it kind of reflected like it, maybe shit is dark because it was mm-hmm. a dark it was a dark time. What the fuck for everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's complex, right? It's complex because, you know, you're, you, you go through different phases in your lives, right? But, yeah, there's a certain cadence to it all, right? You can hear... You hear a reflection of what was going on just directly around us. Was, you know, there, there's a couple of things that we didn't include that were like a lot darker. You know what I mean? So, but you know, it, it's yeah, it's definitely a, a, a reflection of, of just where, what the state, you know, where we're at as far as like people, as far as the world, as far as what we're feeling. 
you know, and, you know, questioning if, if, if we've made good or bad decisions, you know, living with those and as well as celebrating everything we had, you know what I mean? It's, it's a more mature, how would you say, outlook because, you know, when, when you have, when you have experiences, the multitude of experiences, then you realize, you know, it's the shades of gray, right? It's not just black and white. So, you know, then you start, you know, your art starts reflecting that to your music because of, of what you've been through. You you learn to articulate, um, how would you say, more, 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 uh, in, in more complexity because you've had different, you have mixed feelings about everything, right? It's a mixture of it all and you just try to make yeah. sense of it. It's like, everybody still a b-boy but these b-boys became grown men on this album you feel me though kiko yeah, yeah, yeah everyone's yeah. content was like it felt more serious you know i can feel the pain in people's rhymes on this when mm -hmm. Dan, when danu said that shit i you know what i'm saying it got mm -hmm. me man i was like fuck i feel i feel mm -hmm. i feel exactly what he's talking about and mm -hmm. um let me ask you this man um you know with with hip hop turning 50, I just want to say this out loud out there because it needs to be said. Like when hip hop turned 50 and mad props to all the architects and all the founding fathers that came from NY. But when hip hop turned 50, I, it felt like the celebration really meant let's celebrate New York hip hop. Now, with that being said, much love to them. But the contributions of groups like Dilated, the Visionaries, J5, Soul Submission of Hyro, the Beat Junkies, the what what filipinos contributed in turntablism and mc mm -hmm. and breaking i felt like that was under recognized in this 50th celebration of hip-hop mm -hmm. and i hope there's a promoter out there that can make the show happen where we we gotta commemorate these guys man like your contribution to west coast hip-hop is definitely like not forgotten bro you your the cult following is alive and well man for the vision right, right. We're, we're out here hey dog we out here we yeah, out here yeah. the, oh, the promoters man. are still are booking um this uh the visionaries and the shows are still jam-packed man crazy sold out everything nothing changed you know what i mean you should, yeah do you feel good we're, about that Kyoko? we're yeah we're trying cool. and, and we're trying to think of, of of you know putting something together too um that and, and the alcoholics that, yeah. the alcoholics yeah. yeah the legs and the, their know, contribution mm-hmm and the fellowship and uh you know, a bunch of cats, and so yeah, we, we're we're in the works of, of um, seeing if we can make something happen with that. And, and you know, it's really like about getting getting the proper funding and the proper sponsorships for that because you know all these cats deserve like a certain you know a certain certain amount of, of you know financial um, yep you know financial gain from it as well. But rightfully, so, time, it, you know, rightfully so. Rightfully yeah. so. And, and, and you know, there's so so like I said, it, it's a task that, that that we've been trying to look into, and at least you know if we do something, be able to reflect you know some of that, maybe not all of it, but at the same time, it's like you know I'm sure there's other people working on things, but whatever we can come up with, I mean, it, it, definitely our, our heads are in the same space when you're saying that you know like we, we're, we're definitely. Um, look have been working on some certain things trying to make certain things happen we'll see what happens and if not you know we'll continue to to, to do what we do within our realm of what we can do you know what i mean like just because you can't do it a certain way doesn't mean you can't still do something right so that's how we've always been like we don't we'll, we'll, we'll find a place to, to fit something in if, 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 if 
whenever possible. So I know your time is precious. Uh, T, I'm gonna ask you a couple more questions. I'm gonna let you go. Uh-huh. Um, so, yo, you've been to Europe uh, plenty of times. There's been a lot of countries you visited. What's the top three countries that you, you can never forget? Rocking, like, yo, I cannot believe this shit, man. Three, um, top three countries. I mean, I'd have to say definitely, um, I mean, just Germany, because Germany just has uh, such an appreciation for the arts, you know what I mean? And so every, like, we've played so many shows that were, like, facilitated by the government like they they fund like big areas like there, there's a place where they had the world they had the world graffiti like festival whatever and it used it was formerly like a, a like a like somewhere where they, it was it was a concentration camp but they flipped it and they made a venue there and they, they allow people to paint there and, you know everyone that comes is just on some hip-hop culture stuff and they try to turn it into something positive right so like just that alone they're appreciating the appreciation of the culture and giving people a space to be able to express art artistically i mean you know that whole country like it's just crazy how how much they appreciate the culture you know what i mean and that's what that's super like to me that was just it just blew me away like that's why i said like you can come in there and there's a group like us that just comes with that energy and on some b-boy stuff oh man it's just like they might not have known us but when we leave we literally have like you know 500 fans just from one show you know what i mean yeah they, yep. they're just into that and, and that's the goal that's mm-hmm, the goal mm-hmm, right to mm-hmm. make you yep yeah and they show up because they they know it's a group coming or they'll know the beat junkies name or something you know what i mean they'll just come out but they know it's a legit show yeah and man kill it. And, and so that's what i love about germany um you know Vienna, we played at this place called Club Flex, and the reason why it blew me away was it was an entire venue, and the guy says, you know, we're ranked one of the best sound systems in the world. He's like, he's like, I'll tell you, I bet you've never been to any studio that sounds better than this. And he sat us hanging from the ceiling where the soundboard is, and he sat us down and he played some stuff for us, and I've never heard sound that good in my life. Like, yeah. you know, the whole venue. So playing there is like incredible like that to me just blew me away wow so that was in vienna austria and then um and another place that i loved was switzerland because their grasp of english is so good that you're actually dropping lyrics and they're all listening and then you'd say a line and they would cheer you know what i mean so that was like super dope that they were actually like not honing just on the energy but you would say something they'd be like oh you know they would react to lines and stuff and it was like Mm -hmm. wow that's dope so Mm -hmm. um and of course i mean the last thing is always japan japan is just this amazing regardless you know i mean like just the country but yeah i mean it's just for me going that's my motherland so like going there is just incredible like osaka from osaka to tokyo to, to hiroshima to like every place we, we, we toured all, like a lot of a lot of places in japan it's it, it to me it's just it's always like i feel like i'm in a constant dream there and like it just feels unreal like i'm like i can't believe i'm here for music and we're getting paid to do, do this and just meeting people there and they're all so humble and everyone's so excited about about just everything like they're just energy is so good like they're just super uh i don't know it just feels so genuinely like it just makes you almost feel embarrassed like wow these people are so cool like it's just the the, the camaraderie you make with just all the people there is just amazing so that that to me like probably my top is there but i didn't want to start with that because it's like home country you know what i mean so but yo anyway. um, 
no doubt. Yo, keep cool. Uh, top five MCs. That was a huge influence in your style, especially in your formative years of us becoming a, a young MC and just being in the industry. Like when you started making albums, who was like really influencing your styles? And um, top five. As, as, as an MC, I mean, not not in any order. Mm-hmm. Um, any order say, or whatever. I, I, I would I would say. Um, Karis one, yes, um, <laughs> yeah. Karis one and uh, Chuck Chuck D. Yeah. Karis one because he was so hip hop, but also like intelligent and always cerebral. Like he was just just a, just the the smartness on the dude. And then Chuck D just because like I said, I wrote my first rhyme about my people, my culture because not just Chuck D, but Public Enemy, but in general. But I just that that inspired me just to want to write music that with meaning. You know what I mean like just to write raps with meaning. Um, I I was I was a huge Big Daddy King fan. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. just because he was just so nice with it, you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, like everyone drops Rockem, and honestly, like I love like trust me, Rockem is just like hands down like probably the top MC for everyone. Of course, but but I don't know. I just had this something about Big Daddy King was just so. I don't know. He just had it, like everything. The swagger, a little bit the, more raw, a little bit more oh, loud yeah, and raw, and just, right? Yeah, and just his delivery was so clean, like in that voice, you know. Um, funnier, a little wittier, uh, a little funnier. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then talking then, shit. Um, He's talking shit a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, um, and then I would say, um, huge, huge, huge influence to me was uh, was really like. Um, De La Soul because yes um, and th- and because they were like just themselves you know what I mean like they could be like brainy and nerdy they didn't really care you know what I mean like and so that you didn't have to be a certain swat you know you could just be you you know what I mean I felt like they were always down to earth and then I'm in 1992 I kept a ticket stub I went to a De La Soul show when Q and Q and them were opening for him in, at the Townsend in San Francisco I think 93 it was and um and i was on next to the stage and and they were like hey uh it was 93 and they were like oh you know we're gonna let some people freestyle and they pulled some people out, out from the crowd and then a plus from hyrule was there and, and they're like oh a plus from hieroglyphics right here on stage so i just walked up i go hey can i get on too they're like yeah come up so i got to freestyle with a plus like they put on us after all the all the, the fans in the audience came up and tried to freestyle like two two people did or whatever and then me and a plus got to freestyle and so i was like fuck man and i remember danny when everyone was in the crowd like how the hell are you up there right now i was like i was the type of dude that i just did whatever like i got my way into everything like got myself on la radio on my own by the letter. you know what i mean like i didn't care I, t- I was just like whatever i'll try it if they say no what are they gonna do so then Later on in '95, my first trip to New York for the Zulu anniversary, I went with Rhett and J Rock and you know, <clears throat> went Emil from Crooks, Crooks and Castles, like a bunch of friends. We all went together and um, we went and saw Daylight perform. They're doing the Sticks. We went Sticks High just came out, and you know, I was just chilling, talking to most, and I knew who he was, but you know, he was just a young kid, and he was we were just chopping up. He's like, "Oh, Safir's on your album." We're, we're talking about cosmonauts and stuff, and. And, uh, and then Dela came out and I was like, oh yeah, you know, he's like, and then Pasanus was like, where do I know you from? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, San Francisco, he goes, the Townsend. Yeah, 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 you, you were on stage, like, you freestyled on stage with us. That's right. And I was like, how the fuck did he remember that, right? 
<clears throat> he's like, man, I'm tired here. Let's sit down on the curb. He's like, what's, what's been going on with you? And I'm just like, this dude's just chilling, talking to me like a normal ass person, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. humbling. <laughs> gave him my album. Fucking Daylight. And I gave him uh, Cosmonauts. He goes, oh, dope. He goes, oh, Ross. He goes, Ross Cos. Oh, he's nice, man. He's here tonight, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, he's like, he's just commenting on everything. And he was super chill, man. I was just like, I mean, I was like, man, like, if, if that didn't solidify to me, I said, dude, if I ever have fans, I'm going to be just like how he is, man. Just down to earth, you can just tell he's a good dude. And both of them, like, they, like, both of them, they're, they're like, um, super just chill. Just like, hey, what's up, bro? Like, I was just like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, like, these guys are just normal down to earth dudes, just like how I imagined it. Because you know how they say, don't meet your heroes or dicks sometimes. <laughs> I was like, man, these dudes are just cool as shit. Like, and that's where I was like, man, if I ever have fans or if I ever meet people, I was like, oh, that's that's exactly how I'm going to be. Like, never change. Like, because you shouldn't. You know, like, why would you? So, but that that solidified it with me. I was just like, hands down, these dudes are like my biggest, biggest influence in that way. Where I was just like, you know, that was amazing to me. So, uh, and then other MC wise is, is Faramont. Because he's like, <laughs> yeah. when I heard him rap, I was like, Oh, but what this guy's a maniac, dude! He's <laughs> a maniac, one. yo. Heard the first, heard the first organized album. I mean, both of them, him and Poe, the way they're doing syncopated rhymes. And then, but I was just like, this dude's a monster, dude. And so I just love Pharaoh. So like, I would say like, to me, like stylistically, him and and Micah Nine too. When I first heard Micah Nine, I was like, oh my god, this guy's crazy in the way. Super you know. underrated, mm-hmm. man. Pharaoh oh yeah, monster. oh yeah. He was yeah. not mentioned, and like you know, you know, it's kind of crazy. Like when they talk mm. about these top fifty MCs list, mm. what's up, man? How come you guys be leaving out Pharrell Munch? I don't know about yeah, all no, that. Fer- yeah, no, Pharrell Munch is definitely yeah. one of those dudes. That Super underrated. Like, yeah, and, and stylistically, like he just him and Freestyle Fellowship just like changed the game of, of taking the taking it to a next level and stylistically rapping the show. You just just being free with it. I was just like, oh my god, these guys are like crazy. So I would say, like, formatively, like, when I would hear those dudes, like, those MCs. And the other dude that was super influential, like, in a way, was LL Cool J. Yeah, still killing it. Still killing it. And just how professional he was. Like, I met him. No way. You met LL, bro? Yeah, I opened LL at at UC Irvine. What the fuck? And then the promoter's like, LL is inviting you uh, to, to go meet him. And he had me put in a, a Can You Hear It tape. He goes, or the C, he goes, what's your single? I said, Can You Hear It? Let me hear it real quick. And he heard it. He goes, man, that's real catchy, man. I'm a, he's like, he was like, man, I'm going to have to take that. He started laughing, right? He's like, super cool. And I was just chilling with You LL played, you played your song for Al. Yeah, he goes, he goes, I have your album. What song do you want me to hear? I was like, he's like, what's your single? Why'd you choose it? Why'd you choose it? I said, because it was the most sonically, he goes, that's the way to think about it, man. Like, he was like, like a professor, just talking to me. I was like, man, you're the, and he, he had it on the slit. He goes, don't mind how I look. Now he had it on his reading glasses. And his, he goes, I, I look like your old Uncle L, right? And I started like, he was like, super cool, man. So I was just like, dude, how professional that guy was. Wow. That's and, awesome, bro. Yeah, yeah. And I saw him during the, the when Mama said, knock you out, Violet Brown got me like, almost like front row tickets and, the way he rocked the whole show without being being in shape and never like I was like man this what, what year was this what year was this uh 
boy mama said knock you out like 94 maybe 93 what the fuck yeah real yeah i forgot one of those years it was at the forum and i got really close seat maybe 92 it might have been like 92 or 91 it was early it was like before i even started working with the visionary and i went to see him and i was like this guy is non-stop and he's not even like breathing hard dude i was like that's why i was like i gotta stay in shape like i you know i don't drink i usually if i i try not to drink beer or anything before i perform i might drink one or two but i'm like dude it, it's i treat it like a basketball game man the, the shoes are everything because after seeing him i'm like man he was running screaming doing all the songs without losing his breath and he was like yeah so um so yo uh, yo he cool um yeah as far as like production like um you know like your top five albums that definitely influence how you see production and your lyrical content like you know like you have a big role in crafting the visionary sound and of course like everybody got their own style of lyricism but like just top five albums that you're like yo this is what uh, inspire my albums to sound like what would that be um i would say um pour this head dummy wow um when, that, that that whole thing just blew my mind man and and yeah pour this head dummy for sure um I want to say low end theory because yeah. Every time, <laughs> first time I ever heard low end theory was in my my, my buddy Kenny's uh, Supra, and he had a system, and we sat there and listened to the album maybe five times straight in his driveway, like like literally front to back, going, put on again, put on again, put on again. This record sounds so crazy. Put on again, like just just the perfect like bumping slash dope dope samples. Um, yeah, just and just the way it just it just sonically sounds so dope, and the way Bob Powers mixed it and all that is just incredible. Um, wow. What else? Um, and then, I mean, honestly, Enter the Wu Tang. Uh, yes. Six Chambers. Uh, yeah. I, I got that like months before it came out because I was writing the articles for UCLA. They gave me like a demo version of it, and I have the <laughs> tape still. And the and I was just like, oh my god, like. And I was like, it sounds like so, like it was just so grimy. It's still hit, and it was just so, like that, that's why I was like, you, you can make stuff that sounds grimy but still, yeah, make it hit. And I was like, that was the perfect blend of like, it doesn't have to sound like sonically like Porter's head dumb. It could still be gritty but still sound good. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah. So I definitely feel like that that record and just the feel of it all, just the the. Oh man, like just wanting me, you know. It's like just, that album, it sounded like RZA didn't mix it right and it wasn't right. meant to be mixed down right. Right. It was right, it exactly. was meant to sound imperfect. Yeah and, yeah. and for some reason we still gravitated towards it, bro. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it that's what I was saying. I was just saying you know, it was because of the energy of it more than anything. And it hit hard enough and it, so I was just like, it doesn't have to be perfect, like sonically and, and huge. Whereas like on the contrary, like, you know, Chronic 2001, the way they mastered it was so loud. I'd never heard a record so loud and still sound good. I was like, how did they get this record sounding like this? And it made everyone think that you just needed to crank everything up super loud. Like older records are mastered lower just cause that's the proper way to master. But that record, they just, 
they pumped it up and and I was just like whoa the, exactly they pushed, they pushed it to the limit literally and figuratively and so exactly like, so that that kind of blew my mind to like sonically I was like, I was like and then Dre you know like you know I'm a I'm a big Dre fan because I just you know just huge production in the way he replays stuff and incorporates live instrumentation and I, I know that he doesn't do all of it his his production he has a, a lot of dudes that help you know source samples and all that but still like as a producer producer like I'm like you know I love the way he does shit but um but I guess also I so in between like Dre and and, and Wu-Tang I would have to say uh probably Gangstar Daily Operation yeah just because Woo! that's Gangstar, a crazy yeah oh. Gangstar went from went from like like you know the their I guess third album. They, they, they went when they when they did Daily Operation. I was just like, I don't know. It was just the perfect like. It sounds good. It hits hard, but it, it's like it just sounds cushy and, and just the production on it. Primo is just like hands down. Like he's probably still one of my favorites. You know what I mean? And, and um, um, yeah. So I, I would say those. Oh, and then the other one that that just I really loved was uh, Diamond and Diamond and the Psychotic Neurotic. Psychoanalytics, ah. stunt splints, and hip hop. Ah, oh, but, dope, 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 yeah. dope. Either that or or the first Cypress Hill album too, like the way mm-hmm. it looks, shit. I was just like, oh my god, this that is was crazy. A classic. That was because that that just changed the way everyone made beats. You know what I mean? Like noisy, rock sampling, like. So I would say that, that you know what Muggs did on uh, the debut Cypress Hill album, that was like super impactful because I, that's when I was starting to make beats too, and. and, and starting to really like dissect you know between that and daily operation like those two and diamond and psychotic you know, that sounds both hip hop i'm like between those um i think just the way they did their beats and, and stuff like that was just it just made me fall in love with like beat production and make, you know trying to find my stuff kind of jazzy kind of hard hitting you know you hear some other songs that sounds like like you know grimy rough and then you hear some of our stuff it sounds west coasty then some of our stuff is yeah. like jazz, jazzy it's like because we love all that we have yeah. a bit of woo we have a bit of native tongue we have a little a bit, bit of, of primo a little bit of primo yeah. in them yeah. and, and and the fact that you know um where i grew up in erodium and seeing dre and all that our connections to nwa are very close yeah uh, elemento road with easy e and stuff when he was a, when he was a youngster so and dj speed so like we grew up around all that you know so growing up around the west coast like we're definitely west coast heads too but we love oh, yeah. east coast hip hop too so it's like you hear a bit of it all in our music and some reggae i hear yeah. a lot of reggae and visionaries music oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 for sure because of yeah because reggae of, because of the island influence right and so yeah. and we and we you know of course we grew up with a lot of reggae too being being cali heads you know what i mean like um so yeah so it's, it's a little bit of it all a little bit of Dope. it all but but those are my favorite records that I just named. Like as far as like production was, I was always those are the ones I remember going, oh my gosh, what is this? The pointless head dummy, that that changed my whole brain, man. I, when I heard that, I was like, oh my god, man, Jeff Barrow's that dude. His production is so dope. He said he made those beats for rappers, but where he grew up, there was no rappers. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, he yeah. got <laughs> and then, so when he got what what what's your name, Beth Evans? Um, when he got her on there. And her voice is just so amazing, but just his production, I was like, "Wow, this this stuff is crazy." Uh, let me ask you this, Kiku. Last but not the least, before I let you go. Um, yeah. So, yo, I know that as, as 
like you're a real true lyricist too like i see it with the growth of every album you know and as a songwriter sometimes sometimes you lose inspiration sometimes we have a lot of it um as far as becoming a father and becoming a husband and raising a family how does that influence your your outlook on the music industry how you present yourself out there with the music how does it play a role in your in, in your lyricism in your songwriting i i think i think it just um it makes me want to make things that are more meaningful i want you know like i said uh, i hope one day my grandkids are listening because I, i i'm conscious of like my our legacies are going to be stuff that we put in music you know people listening to us and what we say so i'm like i'm glad we've never done tongue-in-cheek type of stuff i mean i've said a few things before where i'm like yeah maybe i shouldn't have said that you know what i mean but you just become way more feel more responsible and aware and at the same time you want to be complex and dope and, and you know you want to have layers and it just makes me just i feel i just feel more responsible to to, to not just be dope but to be aware of, of just trying to give nuggets of lessons life lessons and messages and And so like, even when we do like what we would say, oh, just a no subject, like, you know, it's not bragging and boasting about who we are or what we have. It's about, I mean, not, it's more of about who we are, what we experience, not what we have and what we're, you know, you know, it's not, it's not about what you would typically think, you know, MCs and a lot of times brag about, like, that's not, it's not me. Like everyone has something that's meaningful to them. For me, it's family, it's, it's my experiences, my, Or, or just reflections of our environment and stuff as more 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 so than you know, I got a lot of freaking money like that doesn't matter like that that's not to me that that's inconsequential that's just something that you need to to, to survive within the system we're in but at the same time that's not the end all be all um so yeah. and it's got to be a balance because you can't not have money you can't not well you got to work still you got to bring in income so you got to feed your your family still of course it's not just about that though so um that's why like yeah when i write it's just kind of like what's happening at the time because sometimes it's like damn you know it's a struggle right now let's let's write about the struggle and how am i how am i going to get through it and what's going to bring me strength through the struggle right and Mm. so you know and and that's what's inspiring right like it could just be daily stuff it could be family stuff Yeah, Pico. Sorry yeah. about that. So, All good. You were talking about um, the the influence and how fatherhood and being a husband and raising family changes changed you. Um, you were saying something like timing is everything, right? Yeah, and it, it's it's really just as as far as you know, what you what what I express in my music is just what's happening at the time, right? And what what's important to me right is is what i'm going through and sometimes it's, it's directly involved with my family my kids or maybe it's you know taking care of my parents or my mom or whatever it could be that that also fuels things and sometimes it's just an outlet like i just want to get a verse off and things are happening in the world or whatever it be so the inspiration uh comes from from Uh, a lot of different things but definitely having wife kids and family just makes you it, it definitely has changed me in, in a way of it's weird because like on on uh, the we are the ones album i say um i like it when 
me and my wife are over chilling in Hawaii and sometime in life we'll have some older children, right? And I didn't have children at the time. And my kids listen, they go, did you know you were going to have us? I go, no, I didn't. I didn't know if we were ever going to have kids. But at some time I predicted that I would have kids. I said, and sometime in life we'll have some older children that would get to college with help of scholarships, you know? And so like i'm like i was always aware of it that i would write for the future as well because someday my kids would listen to it and so that's why being aware of that hasn't changed but now that they're actually here and that they may have their own families one day i just want to be like something that hopefully when when their kids or their kids kids or whatever listen to it they're like oh man these guys were dope and they talked about really relevant stuff that we practice today as people. You know what I mean? Like mm. the way of thinking, the the way of caring for each other, the way of being a solid, humble person that that's there for people, being a beast when you need to at the right time. <laughs> not, yes. You know, but holding it back at the right time too, right? Like it's like just knowing, just understanding the, the ebb and flow of life and doing trying to do the right thing at the right time, but also not always overthinking it. Sometimes just going with what you feel is right. You know what I mean? And it's it's a balance, right? It's always a lesson, and so you know that's how it's helped. Is is it's helped me kind of know it's not just about me, and it never was. You know what I mean? And that, that's where the kids are a constant reminder. Yo, keep cool, man. Thank you so much for doing this interview. I learned so much. I'm super humbled that you shared your story. Um, thank you and the visionaries for all your contributions to hip hop. Um, your music definitely helped shape my life and changed my life and it helped me how do, how do I say this like you guys created a lane that I felt like I belonged in you know um, so thank you thank you for uh, for showing love I appreciate you bro yeah oh for sure and I'll, I'll tell you something you lived over there um, by that Target I know exactly what Target you're talking about because <laughs> I used to live in Sturbridge Village which is across the street from that Target on the corner of a uh, your Belinda and Placentia. No way, bro. Yeah. Stop it. So, You're playing so with me, right? My wife and I, when we first moved out. Oh, my we God. We college in 1999. We moved out. And then uh, she got a job in Brea. So we, <laughs> we lived there for a few years until we finally bought the first house condo. And I think it was like 2004, 2003, end of that. We wow. You were but living to, in Fullerton? Yeah. Yeah. So I used to go to that. And, and, and when I was walking to Target sometimes, one time we, these kids hit me up. They're like, aren't you in the business? Like, oh, that's sick. We live right here. We go to, you know, Placentia High School or whatever they were going to. Maybe uh, El Dorado or something. And and they're like, no way, you live here. I go, yeah, I live in this building right here. They're like, oh, shoot, man, you want to smoke? I go, no, nah, I'm good. You know, I'm just drinking. <laughs> but it was cool, man. Yeah. yeah, but I used to live right there. That's so when you said you bought uh, Pangea at that Target. Target. I go, man, yes. I used to shop at that Target all the time. <laughs> so I just wanted to tell you that, like, our, our, li- our lives have, have been a lot closer than you thought. Pro- we were probably uh, in the same places at the same time. A bunch That's of crazy. Years, so. Yo, anyway, man, yeah, cool. thank you, thank Marlon, you. dude. I appreciate this this time. It was a good time uh, talking, and I can't wait to hear it and show my kids. <laughs> I'll be in touch with you through text, all right? But um, yep. let me, I know you got to get back to the family, but let me give you a call sometime this week just, just to kind of like recap on some of the, um, yep. I'll just give you updates on the episode, all right? For sure. I don't, I don't want right, to take over too much time. Thanks. Thank I'll you, bro. It, thank you, man. MD Podcast, we did it. Hip Hop Heads, yep. this one's for you. Yo, I love hip hop, and in the, in the truest sense of the form, man. Like, thank you, for, thank you for doing this, people. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. All right, peace. all right, people. Peace.